go any second now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another installment of the Punk Rock Barbershop. Black artists talking about their white influences. A podcast so unique it's offensive. <laughs> Complex conversations around a simple topic. This is also literally the most engaging podcast that has ever existed. Uh, so I am uh, I'm pretty excited because uh, so you guys are like the the most famous people that I've ever had in the studio. I don't I don't know if, if you can sit like you're you're like you're well known in like the world of of Philadelphia nerds and podcasters. I feel like because I yeah I had, I had heard about you guys like two years before I actually maybe like ever met you so. For whatever that's worth. But uh, so, gentlemen, do you want to introduce yourselves and, yeah, tell the world who you are? Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. What's the deal? It's your man, our son, the voice of reason, a.k.a. the Super Tribble, a.k.a. the comic book Jedi at Amalgam Comics and Coffee House of Black Tribbles and Gangster Grass. What up? And your name is Randy Green as yes, well? It is. Okay, yeah, I just want people to have no, your, no, your I, government I, issue name. No, I see. Now, see, that's the thing. That's the thing. I never called out my government name. Okay. That's my. That's the name my mom gave me. Respect. Yeah, Respect. So I, I always put that out there. Like, I know Matt Cats be like, yo, son, don't be putting my government out there. I'm like, yo, your mother gave you that name. This is don't true. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. But your mother worked for the government, so. No, she didn't. My mother worked for Bell Telephone. It was a joke, man. <laughs> Your father worked for the government. My father did work for the government. My dad was a cop for 30 years. In oh, yeah? Yeah, 30 years. And what was your father's name? Richard. What was his middle name? Arthur. I don't have a point yet. Okay. <laughs> this could go on all this. Will go no, on yeah, I, no, I love all it. All day. I, I love this interplay. I love this interplay. Um, so, Like, was he uh, like a, a beat cop? Or? No, he was a detective for the last 15 years. Uh, No. About ten years. Okay, he was on. He was on the beat for a while. Um, it was funny because I asked him like why he never because he had he had three brothers on the force mm -hmm. too. Um, his one brother was wound up a sergeant. His other brother was a lieutenant. Uh, his uh, his other brother, my uncle Dexter, he was he was a step away from commissioner. Mm. Um, and I asked my dad like why did you never you know he was like because I could be home. Mm, yeah, I was yeah. home with you guys yeah. way more than your than your uncles were. With their kids, so yeah. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's that's a little tear. No, no, it's um, it's something that like I've been talking to a lot of my friends about. Just um, people who you know were so I'm 40, and you know, like most of my friends are in that like 38 to 42 age range. So for a lot of us, we're just now having kids. So we've just been having a lot of conversations about like what's super important, like what's not. And one of the things that I've realized for myself is that the if the work that I'm doing allows me, affords me the opportunity to still live the personal life that I want to live, that's the most important thing to me. Like money is clearly important, but like the thing I always say is that if for some reason that I was blessed with the ability to have like amazing athletic skills, or if I was a in-demand musician enough that like I could tour, like what the Roots used to do, like touring 200 days out of the year, like even if I was single, I'd fucking hate it like that would that would make me miserable but the like do it be in the house band on the tonight show like yeah do that you get to meet people tour a little bit come home but yeah just in you talking about your dad that's what that they reminds still me tour of a lot. yeah that's which i think part. is insane they still tour a lot um and it's amazing how much 
they time they spend on the road. Yeah. I ran into Black Thought at the uh, the gas station at the corner of Stenton. Okay, right yeah. Uh, he was coming back to Philly because he lives up in Jersey. Yeah. He was coming back to Philly uh, to get his son a haircut. Wow. Because <laughs> his barber was, you know, still in the area. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I came over here to get a haircut. And I was like, which speaks to, A, the 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 technical skill of Philly barbers. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, B, like the the, the loyalty that, that cats have for their barber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your barber moves and you're like, well, I guess I have to just either find you. Mm-hmm. Because finding a new barber is is a thing. Yeah, that that's why I just do the shaved head now. Also, on so um, when I was growing up, the the town I lived in until I was fourteen, it's this town called Altadena. So it's a suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, I know and uh, yeah. So like the west side of Altadena is like m- almost all exclusively black. So I lived in an all black neighborhood. Like everyone's black. I played in an all black little league with all black umpires, concession stand people, all of that. Um, but my I have two older brothers. My oldest brother would usually cut my hair for me. Now, at this point, he was in college in San Diego, so I had to wait like every like two months for him to come up from San Diego, (laughs) and he would do my high-top fade. So I only went to a barber shop maybe three times when I was growing up by the time I was 14 because we then moved to Northern Virginia. So so there was a barber shop in, you know, in Altadena. It was an all-black barber shop with, you know, just the entire culture of that. But also, like... The the folks that hung out there were nothing like my family, so I was like very intimidated. I'm like, what is going? Like this place is fucking bonkers. Um, but also, I was just like, I was used to my brother cutting my hair and you know, talk, like nerding out and stuff. And then when I moved to Northern Virginia in high school, like you know, there was no black people there, so there there was a barber shop that had a couple of white guys and a couple of Asian guys who could cut black people's hair. So like my dad always got his hair cut from a Filipino dude. Nice. Um, yeah. And okay. by, the, by the time I was like old enough, I was like, well, I'll just like, I'll just grow my hair out in a crazy Afro. So I just say all that to say that like, th- even now, like black barbershops are just such a like ridiculously insane experience for me because like the idea of like sort of spending two to three hours in a place under the guise of getting your hair cut. Like, it's cool. Like I get it now, but I was like, why is it taking so long for you to cut my hair? <laughs> Cause you know, boys got to stop and you know, go get something to eat. Yeah. And you know, somebody's calling them and it, Bro, can you just cut my hair, man? I got I got a life to live. Yeah, I was I was down in Atlanta, like um, hanging out with a friend, and we we went to a barbershop in downtown, and this was 2004. So so Chappelle show was kind of like first catching yeah, the yeah, public yeah. consciousness. So this guy had like recorded a bunch of episodes on VHS, and it was like the Rick James sketch, or like it was one of the big ones, and the guy. This dude was cutting my hair. He would like stop in the middle and be like, oh, yeah, like this is the scene I was talking about when like, he, you know, he slaps the person. And, you know, like I was so like young and I was like, yeah, you know, like I don't want to upset people. And, you know, and maybe like this is the culture and like, you know, I don't want to I don't I don't want to have a suburban mindset. And then my best friend who was with me who grew up in Dallas who like only grew up around black people like he didn't say anything while we were there but when we left he was like fuck that dude he was like he's like fuck that guy like that's disrespectful to you you're a paying customer I was like yeah well I mean it was kind of funny. It was it was weird, yeah, but yeah, you're a young boy in the room. That's how a young boy. Some sometimes you are supposed to fall back as a yeah. young boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what stopped me from going to barbershops was because, you know, I grew up where, you know. The barbershop was kind of like, you know, it's community center mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
and you had your one barber that you you that cut your hair and everything like that, but they were just cutting hair. Yeah, they were in there having a good time, but they were cutting hair. But once like the young bulls and all those cats started cutting hair, I started noticing something. And this is immediately when I stopped. When I went to the barbershop one day and my barber was dressed better than me. Mm. I said, yeah. yo, that's, that's not supposed to be, ha- that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be wearing your party clothes right. to cut somebody's hair. Absolutely. You know, that means you more worried about not messing up, you know, your mm-hmm. fresh mm-hmm. leg. It's like, done. I need to teach myself how to gotcha. fade. And, yeah. I, and that was 20 years ago. I haven't been to the barbershop since. Cut nice. My own hair. Okay. Yeah, I um, one I realized this was around two thousand seven. So yeah, like most of my early twenty years, I would just like let my hair grow for like six months, then cut it all off. Because I, I also I I just there was a certain amount of laziness that I had where it's like yeah, I don't want to block out three hours out of my day to like you know sit in the barber's chair, so I'm just gonna cut it all off myself. Then I started getting the receding hairline, so I was like okay, well I got to do it more frequently, and then I'm like all right, well I got razors, I'm just gonna do it my on my own. So yeah, essentially since 2007, 2008, just like once a week, either you know use a you know use electric razor or you know do the bic and do that. I have started going um up here up at um on a in chestnut hill on uh, germantown to the duke barber company to get my beard shaped up so like that's good because i you know i i like the ambiance you know and i like the you know yeah i like the whole thing and i i feel slightly more mature uh when i when i go in there so yeah because like i want to feel like an adult so yeah so i like them so so shout out to the uh people at duke barber company and shout out to tony who just uh shaped up my beard uh on Tuesday. Thank you, Tony. That's a good feeling, man. Like when you get your beard yeah. done. I, I hadn't. So I usually like I'll keep it during the winter and I cut it off in the, when it gets warm because it's just too hot. Yeah. But uh, my guy uh, over on, on Wadsworth, like because <laughs> I'll come in. I usually go in like right before I go on tour or if I'm going somewhere. The rest of the time, I I, I, I look like a hobo yeah. a lot. So he'll come in and be like, oh, you, you about to go on tour? Why do you know my life like mm-hmm, that? Man? Why mm-hmm. do you know everything about my existence? But I just felt like getting it this time because I looked like I just crawled out of a sewer. Gotcha. For a okay. While. I'm like, all right, this. this Which I don't think is is a like is a bad thing, um, per se. Because I was trying to do like my beard super scraggly. I was trying to look like John Krasinski in, in a quiet place. Oh wow. Um, yeah, okay, but right. it's. I mean, it didn't really work that well for me. I don't know. I don't know what I thought it would do. What it would do, but it whatever I thought it might do, it didn't do. <laughs> So I thought I might end up married to Emily Blunt if uh, I had my beard long enough. That did not happen. It did not happen. Yeah. Um, well, so so we've been talking about barbers and uh, yeah and all of that. So uh, that's kind of a, a good uh, chance for me to do a segue. So, well, first off, if you guys can, you mentioned the Black Tribbles a little bit. And then, Randy, you also mentioned going on tour so if you all can tell the people that are listening for the for the five people that actually listen to this podcast what exactly is the black tribbles what do y'all do what's your like mission statement and purpose in life and then and then randy if you can tell us uh why you go on tour it sounds like you know well i i know why but i want the people to know why this will be interesting how about you do the black Tribbles story and i'll do the gangster grass story i like it um so 10 years ago um, I I hear from this uh, this radio station uh this radio show on G Town Radio called The Wreck. It was a hip hop show, 
um, and they were looking for, you know, just artists, you know, cats that had some stuff that, you know, wanted to get down. And so I reach out to the, to this guy and I send him some of my stuff. She's like, yeah, it's pretty dope. You should come through to the show. Um, so I go out to the show, um, we play a couple of joints and one of the songs that we played was a song that I did called War of the Words. And War of the Words is an intergalactic MC battle. Okay. That I had written. It was on my first EP. It was on the second one too. Cause you know, I like to put it back out there. Um, and we spent most of the show talking about just nerd stuff. Sure. They were like, wow, like this this is what you're about? I'm like, look, I've been this kid since I was yay big. And so we spent most of the show just talking about that kind of stuff. And so um, a couple days later, I hear back from Len. He's like, you know, I've had this idea. And, you know, this show that we just did is really just kind of sitting in my head about talking about a lot of this sort of nerd stuff from a from a very black perspective mm-hmm. because you know there's this idea that that's not who we right. are and apparently that's not true um <clears throat> so we started talking and then uh he reached out to a couple of other homies uh his friend eric uh e mac and then um his friend kennedy uh and uh, there was another dude involved, and so we did the first couple of episodes. Um, the other dude went about his business, and um, we brought in uh, another guy, our friend Jason, uh, Kennedy's friend Jason. And in you know that first few weeks, about that first five weeks or so, like this thing was really born. Now I was living in Delaware at the time, uh, so I was I was calling in gotcha. on uh, the first few shows Thursday nights, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, Eventually, I started coming up more and more. But I was working Thursday nights a lot of the time. Um, and so the idea was, like, what – for all of this stuff that's out there, you know, that and all of us that are in it, there should be a space for us, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the Black Tribbles was born, um, the idea coming from – uh, the episode of Star Trek with the, the, trouble, mm-hmm. uh, the trouble with Trouble with Tribbles. Um, there were no black ones on there. And – Nobody knew why at the time. Right. We actually found out later. Um, and so we sort of formed this collective, and, you know, it was a weekly thing, and then it started to build. So then, yeah, we were doing it uh, weekly, weeknights on, uh, weekly on G-Town Radio, Thursday mm-hmm. nights. And then for a minute, we had another show on Sunday nights on WURD. Ah, uh, uh, nice. And then, Really? So you, were, yeah. you were doing the Black Triples thing on WURD? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that that kind of makes my brain like almost split in half because I feel like and I I want to be fair cuz I, you know, I've I've only listened to WURD and like, you know, bits and pieces and I've met several people that work there and that my my feeling is that just it seems like it doesn't fit cuz the yeah, they seem very uh like mega churchy if that makes sense. Like it if if they feel very like, uh, like not, Kanye West hanging out with Joel Austin kind of stuff, like that kind no, of mega churchy. No, no, no. Uh, when I say mega churchy, I mean like I, as uh, I'm thinking mega churchy as like a metaphor for just like very middle class uh, Black okay. America. Right. Yeah, like like very okay. like not people that shop at Weaver's Way Co-op, but people who shop at Acme or Shoprite, and yeah, and okay. go to Enon, right. okay. and everyone either works for the city or is a like. I don't know, works at United Bank. It just seems very like normal people. Well, you're right. Um, we were th- we were at URD. We were doing two weekly shows. We were doing URD. 
admittedly Sunday nights. Okay. At 10 p.m. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> when, for, for whatever reason, their signal was like during the day on URD. You can get the, you can get their signal anywhere, but it like Sunday nights for whatever they turn off. Half they turn the it hour. off and okay. they just turn it over to to the streaming. Um, and we were doing. We were primarily doing uh, reviews of The Walking Dead. Okay. And then talking about TV when The Walking Dead was off. Um, and we we were there for two years. Uh, and it was fun. It was yeah. Kind of, it was kind of fun to say that you know we had two radio shows a yeah. week that we yeah. were rocking and rolling with. But in the end, after we realized that um, okay, this being here is not. We're, they're, they don't want to elevate us right? Yeah, using this and uh, because of their, their lack of signal strength they wasn't really great in promoting us yeah. and everything like that we were like alright we're going to roll uh, matter of fact we actually left there to start doing a monthly show with uh, WHYY okay yeah uh, we did a monthly show for HYY it's actually a monthly podcast when they were trying to get into podcasting, but they didn't know what they wanted. Yeah, they didn't know what they, yeah. They, they still don't know what they were doing. So that was like, um, <laughs> it was like two years wasted uh, there. Um, you, God bless them. They're beautiful yeah, people though. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just, they, they're, they're not, yeah. I'm, they're I, not ready. They're, they're not ready and they don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm a, like allowed to say this. I, I don't think it's a problem, but I, like I had an- It's your uh, show. You're allowed to yeah. say <laughs> Um, th- Through a very just like weird set of circumstances, I wound up, I wound up sitting down with like two of like two very prominent people at WHYY mm-hmm. to um, propose the idea of doing a podcast around black financial literacy or not, not black, like the kind of the history and biographies of black financial success. Cause mm. I had this blog like four years ago where I would read a different book a week about some people that we know about like Madam CJ Walker. Um, but mm-hmm. then people that we don't necessarily know about who like, Arthur Gaston, who was this big millionaire in Birmingham, Alabama in the 1930s, and he paid all the bail money for the people in the yeah, Montgomery yeah, yeah. bus boycott. Yeah, yeah, okay, and, yeah, right. yeah, and Herman Russell and like these other people. So through this just kind of like weird kind of fluke thing, like I sat down with two of the people there and they were kind of like, well, like one, we don't, they're like, yeah, it takes like super long to get a podcast put up and like there's all this stuff and we kind of don't know what to do and how to promote it and there's like no money for it. So it was sort of like, mm-hmm. you, we love your idea. This is wonderful. And even if we love it, we kind of have no idea what to do with it, how to promote it, how to reverse engineer it to make it work, who's going to listen to it and how much opposition you're going to get. But give us the proposal anyways. Mm-hmm. So I gave him the proposal, and then yeah, I haven't heard anything. So that's my that's but, the world of WHO. Yeah, and, yeah, and but and they were they were transparent and they were lovely and they were like they were nice and wonderful. But they were like, yeah, this probably kind of won't work if you try it. But try it anyways. So yeah, God yeah. Bless you. yeah, that was my experience. Yeah, so that was our. Experience. What do we do? HYR two years again? Yeah, about two years. About two years over there, uh, and then we. Uh, how long have we been with? Philly Cam now. We've been with Philly Cam now for it's 2019, so it's been three years. Three years with uh, Philly Cam WPPM uh, 106.5. Uh, moved over there, and honestly, the biggest, the the hardest part about the move was not cursing. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> uh, for me, for mm-hmm. me personally, I, I I unfortunately am not able to dedicate as much time as my dear friend Len here. This is the guy without whom which 
without him, Black Tribbles would not be a thing. Yeah. This guy has really, you know, worn the mantle of Bad mm-hmm. Tribble on a level that, you know, most people don't realize how much work this guy does and um, has done a lot for us and, you know, been able to build our brand so much that uh, a couple of years back when Star Trek did their 50th anniversary mm. thing um, in New York, like, these guys got we got invited to be be a part of nice that. that's and, awesome you know did a did a whole panel with the guy that wrote the original troubles with trouble with tribbles nice episode. awesome like it was a big deal and all of that stuff all of that stuff we've been able to do uh uh went to a couple of very cool conventions they went to c2e2 was that last year yeah. um and you know been doing a lot of very big very big very important stuff um and really allowing a lot of people who a lot of people like us who were who were really in this and mm-hmm. didn't feel like there was a place for them to yeah. really create a place for them and now there's there's a there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. all of a sudden a lot of it, but mm-hmm. it, it it would not be without what what we started and without the the really really hard work and ingenuity of this guy right here man this this, this dude is something else so, so Lynn, you're you're like the uh, you're you're the the Brian Epstein and the and the Paul McCartney of the uh, of the Black Tribbles. Like you're you're the driving force, yes, making yes. it work. Yeah. Well, John Lennon would would um, he would be a little upset with you about you not leaving his name out of there. He would be. He would be. But you know, I'm the. the the Beatles is something that I can really nerd out about. You know, I've mm-hmm. spent a lot of years investing in a lot of Beatles information. And John Lennon, you know, definitely is the, you know, the singularity with which the Beatles emanated from. But it was really Paul that pushed them through in the mid 60s. I mean, like, you That's know, true. you know, yeah, yeah Paul yeah. came up with the idea for Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper. Paul wanted to go back on the road, you know, so. And, and I used to be someone I used to be like in the diehard John camp over Paul. And then I was like, oh, yeah. You really? Know, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I never was there. I was always Paul. You were always Paul? Always Paul. Yeah. See, I think because also for me, the the like the mystique around John Lennon, because I didn't start listening mm. to the Beatles until I was a senior in high school. Okay. I always I always knew about them. And at some point when I was like five or six, I knew that John Lennon had been killed. So I was always kind of intrigued. I'm, I'm like, like, wh- like, why was a, a singer targeted? Because like, I, I could understand political leaders and civil rights leaders, yeah. but I'm like, so there was always kind of this mystique. And then, yeah, like just his whole mysteriousness. I was like, oh yeah, like John is the guy. And then I was more like Paul is the guy. Then in college, I was like a, a George Harrison guy. George Harrison was dope. I, he, I, was. I, I, I he was. He was. He was dope. My introduction to the Beatles was actually Sgt. Pepper, but mm. it was the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton awesome. version of Sgt. Pepper. Yes, I am so glad you mentioned that. Bruh, I listened, my mom had that record. We used to listen to it all the time. And I remember hearing like the first Beatles, like the Beatles version yeah. of stuff. I was like, who? That's not Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening here? That no. What's what's going on here? This is this is totally wrong. And I was, and then you know, getting older, find out like, oh, mm-hmm. these are all remakes. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shows you what I know. I got you beat. What you got? My introduction to the Beatles was not the Beatles, was not the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton, but it was a, I guess like mid to late '60s novelty record. Alvin and the Chipmunks sing the Beatles. Awesome. They, that's what was playing. Yeah. 
The first time I heard A Hard Day's Night, it was Alvin awesome. singing it. And then I think somewhere along the way, like watching TV late night, the movie Hard Day's Night came mm-hmm. on, And I was like, these guys are singing, beat, uh, singing the chipmunk yeah, songs. Yeah. <laughs> and then my sister schooled me and I was like, oh. I love it. That was my introduction. To that me. was your that was man. Nice. So that 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 is a perfect segue. Uh, look, look at Randy googling Alvin and the yeah, Chipmunks. Yeah, right, I gotta find that. I'm gonna find that. And I'm I'm shocked that I don't know that because like I'm for a while, especially in the pre-internet era, where like you know when I obsessed about something, like I could literally just like only go to bookstores and find mm-hmm. whatever kind of fanzine I could. So I'm I'm like shocked that I didn't come across that because I feel like that's something I would have unearthed, but. Uh, yeah, Alvin, or or maybe like someone mentioned it to me, and I had such an aversion to Alvin and the Chipmunks. I loved him as a kid, but you know, when you're 18 and trying to impress art school girls about your Beatles knowledge, I'm not gonna bust out the like, "Hey, Alvin and the Chipmunks have this this Beatles <laughs> album." Never, never underestimate what will get the girl. Yeah, that that's that's something I've. I mean, it's not gonna work now in a good way because I'm married. But yeah, th- there was a certain point I think when I was. 28 when I realized I'm like oh I don't have to be like the jock tough guy mm-hmm. to, to, get, to get the girls and the kinds of girls that I would attract doing that are not the girls that I would want anyways yeah so there was a good kind of like two year window where I was like oh I, I can really do like this artsy nerd thing and the girls that I like will like will be into that so yeah I wish I had learned that when I was 20 <laughs> not 20 because I was dating Marsha Brown but when she dumped me or I dumped her when I was 22. Anyways, all right, so this is this is perfect. So so we're talking about childhood. So let's uh let's take a step back a bit and get into you guys's origin story. So Lynn, are are you a, a Philly guy originally? Born and raised. Born okay. and raised in Philadelphia. What right, what part right of the city? Here. I was born in South Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, Where in South Philly? I was born uh around ooh, what was the address? 18th Street. 18th and uh, 18th and Titan. That's where my that's where my grandmother um, lived. Uh, is that kind of around like? Wharton? It's not far. From, it's not far from Washington Avenue. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I lived at uh, I I was in a lot of spots in South Philly for a period like Sixteenth and Christian, which I know may or may not be South Philly. I don't want to get hate mail from people. Sixteenth <laughs> and Christian is South Philly. Okay, because yeah. I yeah, depending on who I would talk to, they'd be like, "That's not if it's not below Washington Ave, it's not South Philly." I'm yeah, like, "I shut up." I'm not trying to get into fights, but yeah, I was at 16th and Christian, uh, 15th and Reed, Broad and Wharton, Broad and Oregon, that's 16th all South and Philly. Yeah, that's all yeah. South Philly. Yeah, the other side of City Hall is South Philly. Okay, I don't care what anybody says. Gotcha. That may be South Center City, but it's still sure until you get to about South Street. But mm-hmm. It's South Philly. That it's that's South Philly. that's what I was always raised to believe when yeah, I was in my early twenties. All right, so you're originally a South Philly I was guy. Real, I, I was. Born in South Philly, but for all intents and purposes, I was raised in Germantown. Cause my, okay. My mom and pop moved to Germantown before I was, uh, just before I turned one. Okay. So I, I was raised in, in Germantown. Now, I'm now, um, I'm a twin, I should oh, say. Oh, nice. I have, I have a twin sister. That's cool. Who's eight minutes older than me. Okay. Um, Does she rub that in your face all the time? Like, well, technically, I'm your older sister, so you got to Yeah, even though thing. she's... And easily a foot and a half shorter than me. Right. Now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. She she rubs it in my face all the time that you know she came out eight minutes first and not only that uh, she came out she was like about a little over 
like just short shy of six pounds. Okay. And I was just a hair over two pounds. So oh. she went home and I stayed gotcha. in the hospital for a month. Yeah. Um, and only my mother came to see me. Nobody else came to see me for that whole month. My mom came every day. God bless her. I loved her. Rest in yeah. peace. Um, so, so yeah. So then I was born and in, in, raised in Germantown and I did the thing. I was a nerd, you know, watching cartoons and eating cereal every Saturday morning mm-hmm. and the whole nine. Um, getting halfway decent good grades, yeah. learning how to draw, draw Batman, became a big lover of comic books and all that and all that whatnot. Um, and then what happened is because I was uh, a twin, I was going to school with my sister all the way up through eighth grade. We yeah. were in Catholic school. And then when it came time to go to high school, she went to girls high and I went to uh, Central mm-hmm. High School, which at the time was just for all boys gotcha. here in Philadelphia. Uh, but this was my first time out of that I wasn't going to school with my sister. Yeah. And man, that was called Freedom Land for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Um, because I did not go to school. I <laughs> went across the street with my friend Derek, Herb, two Kevins, and and Mike, and we played ball every single day nice. for two years. Okay. Um, got into, well, me and Derek actually got into some crazy trouble that I can't talk about on these recorded airwaves, but, um, understood. <laughs> Cause statute of limitations is not really a thing. Got folks. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, so we did, we got into to some crazy stuff, wound up being asked to leave central because apparently they ran out of chairs. So <laughs> as, that's my story. Um, went to King high school, on Stanton? On Stanton, yes. Okay. I went to King. Well, what was it? I mean, I... It was Martin Luther King High yeah, School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I've driven past it a lot. Yeah. And I, I try to be very conscious about how I, um, you know, how I speak about our community and our institutions. Mm-hmm. And I also like to just like... I don't like to pretend that things aren't a thing because I feel like things don't get better if you're like, no, nah, everything is wonderful. Right, um, right. I I went to a graduation... There, it wasn't for King. It was like uh, an alternative school that like was letting like they use they, their you space. Were using an auditorium. Or yeah, right. um, but even just like kind of walking in there, this was I don't know, like 2013, something like that. And just like you know how when you walk into certain places and you can just kind of feel like, yeah, there's some there, there's some funky energy just mm-hmm. in these walls. Like mm-hmm. that's how it felt like going in there. And I was sort of like, God, the fuck do kids like learn and this environment i mean so like what was it like then it was king has seen some rough years um uh when i went there to be honest it was probably a middling high school so it was probably on its way to its lowest point gotcha when i was there uh it wasn't super bad it was just the neighborhood school that you went to yeah um so the expectations were you can get a decent education there as long as you apply yourself and mm-hmm. kind of like put the blinders on. Gotcha. Um, which to be honest, I had the, the intellect for, Yeah, I knew that, but because of what I was doing at central, who knew what I would fall into yeah, yeah. when I went to King and could have, I could have gone hardcore left. Yeah. Um, fortunately, two things happened to me. Fortunately, when I went to King one, I met this guy named Barry who was, um, he was a bit of a nerd, but he was he wasn't like like a nerdy nerd. He was like that like that eclectic like 
like now like West Philly nerd. Mm, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Yeah, like so yeah. he he was still cool. People still gave him props, even yeah. though they knew like Barry's like a little nerdy. And me and Barry hit it off. Um and we became best friends and we talked each other into the second thing was joining the drama society nice. at King. Okay. Um and trying our hands at acting and more so for Barry writing. Okay. Um, and doing that, like really, I'd already shown like a creative bent yeah. you know, from drawing cartoons and stuff like that. But that just lit to fire my other side of my creativity, wanting to be an actor and performer yeah. and stuff like that and being forced to get up on stage and sing in front of people and all this type of stuff. Um, that really lit my fire and that is what has everything I learned there from the drama society in King and just hanging around with Barry for those two years that I was in King and to be fair the two years even after King when me and Barry still kind of stay tight with one another um, has really propelled me in everything else that I've done in my life yeah nice nice all right and so and Randy so we we were talking a bit about this uh, when we first started recording, but um, so your your father was a police officer. I am uh, also Philly born and raised, yeah. but I actually live in the house I grew up in right now, up in Mount Airy. Um, yeah, my dad was a cop, and three of my uncles were cops, and so that's why I never got in any trouble. Yeah, not because they got me out of trouble, right, yeah. because I knew if I got into trouble, mm-hmm. somebody would know really quickly. Yes, so I was yeah. like, you know what, I'm just gonna nope. I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm not yeah. going to get involved. And so, you know, my, my block, there, there wasn't a, it was, and it's still that way. It's still very, very peace on my block. You yeah. Know I mean, I grew up with at least 20 dudes on the block all the time between, you know, a couple of years younger than me and a couple of years younger than me. I have a big brother and he had like four or five real close balls. And then I had, you know, five or six real close cats that I was with. And so there were just a bunch of us all the time. And we were up on the block playing sports, Mm -hmm. you know, playing football and baseball on the block and stuff. Um, Not a lot of us, like I never played any organized sports, but I played baseball up on my block every yeah there was day. there was, was just always, this collective of you guys yeah, yeah. um one of my guys had a basketball court behind yeah. us out so we would ball out there um and then we would go up the water tower because i went to jenks i'm a jenks kid oh you went to jenks uh, nice. i'm a jenks kid nice uh kindergarten through eighth grade okay so much so that like i, I would hear people talking about middle school and mm-hmm. i was like what is middle school? yeah like what huh wait you leave a school and go and then to you, you go school? to a different school yeah what? yeah blew my mind um so um, and I went to Saul uh, up in Roxborough, the the farm school. Oh, nice, um, awesome! I on sh- like on Henry, on Henry, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I should have gone to Central. Um, my brother went to Central. Um, my brother's a really smart dude. I should have went to Central because my my grades. This was back when they would you know split your grades up to like uh, I forget what the first one was, and it was work habits and behavior. Gotcha. I did no homework. Okay. From seventh and eighth grade, none. Sounds just like me. So then you know my my. I knew what I knew all the stuff and mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't do any work. Yeah. So um I got into Saw, went to Saw and just kind of uh chilled out there. It the funny part was I've been, you know, that sort of nerd dude for a very long time. I've been a comic book guy. I started reading reading comic books. Okay. Um, yeah. I've been a, a a Superman fan my entire life. Like the just the 
the the concept of uh you know i got a buddy named rich and me and rich uh and it was funny when he said this because i for me it was the exact same thing like the three men that raised us were you know our fathers superman and luke skywalker okay like i've yeah. just been that guy for a very long time and so um you know i went to went to saw that guy and you the the one of the things that always blew my mind was listening to people as they were coming up talking about like their their group because mm-hmm. I didn't have a group. Sure, you sure. Know, I was just like I would my 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 graduating class in in, in high school wasn't we didn't have a huge class, but I was cool with everybody mm-hmm. in my class. You know what I mean? And was just able to sort of walk into any circle in any sort of any sort of realm and just fit. I think a lot of that just comes from from Jenks because there were so many kids from like like there were kids from from Roxborough, there were kids from Chester Hill, there were kids from like Mount Airy, East Falls, yeah, gotcha. West Oak Lane. Everybody was at was in this space, so we were able to sort of just sort of ride with each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I spent so much, I spent more time in Chestnut Hill growing up than I did uh, like in West Oak Lane. Gotcha. I had mad homies up there, and I'm, yeah. you know, you know, sleeping over and stuff. Um, I did realize how black I was on Germantown Avenue in Chestnut Hill when I was 10 years old. Okay. Um, me and my homies had just got done playing ball at the water tower. We were walking up to Wawa to get something to drink because there used to be a Wawa on Highland Avenue. Oh, okay. Yeah, they closed. That was actually the only Wawa that I remember that ever closed. They mm. were closing night. Wow. They were, that was not a 24-hour yeah. Wawa, not in Chestnut Hill. They yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And this old lady was walking her dog, and she saw me and my homies, and she pulled the dog mm. up by the leash, like didn't bend over, like right. yanked it up by the leash, caught it in her arms and dipped out into Germantown Avenue wow. to wow. go across the street. And I saw this happening and I was like, did y'all just see that? Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I, I, I went to saw, uh, graduated first in my class, although I was, I was first in my class from 10th grade until two days before graduation. I was set to be the valedictorian. And then they were like, no, so and so, she beat you by two tenths of the points. So you're going to be the salutatorian this year? I was like, bruh, mm, yeah. really? Y'all can't give me that? I've yeah. been running this thing for. T- All right, fine. Uh, went to Penn State. Um, and when I got my uh, my Penn State acceptance letter, I was like, All right, I'm done. That's sure. where I'm going. Yeah. Don't want to go to Penn State since I was in 10th grade. Uh, for any well, particular reason, I used to watch Penn State football. Yeah, and me and okay. my homie used to. Uh, we would play uh, Kurt Warner and Blair Thomas. Awesome on, on, on his grass, and I was like, "All right, going Penn State." Did Bye. Kurt Warner go to Penn State? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not I didn't. Kurt Warner. Uh, what was his name? Blair Thomas and oh my god, now I can't remember his name. What was the quarterback's name? I, I, it'll come to me. If if my brother Terrence is listening to this, which he's probably not, he would know. Yes, yeah. he's obsessed with uh, football and he's a huge Penn State fan. Penn now. State guy, dope. I like yeah. him already. Yeah, because uh, uh, like some of his, uh, so they live in California, but my nephew has some friends who like were pretty like big players at Penn. Like they just graduated from Penn State. So. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah, and I also feel like I mean, because I you know I'm not a huge college football guy anymore, but I feel like. Um, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, like like those are like just like the the big draws in college football. Like I because I remember as a little kid in California, watching 
Penn State games almost like every other week. Like they were always oh, televised yeah. oh, on yeah. the West Coast. Todd Blackledge. Okay. Thank you. Thank you awesome. Man. I literally have no idea who Todd that Blackledge is. Todd Blackledge and, and, and Blair Thomas. Uh, and so we, uh, you know, I went to Penn State. I was there my freshman year. I went up on a full scholarship in uh, my major was ag business management. And so like, and this is full, full academics. Full yeah, academic Cause you're not college. playing organized no, sports or sports. like you, you weren't uh, no, uh, playing the nothing, bassoon. So you couldn't nothing. get a full, I don't know if I've ever know. Uh, I have a cousin who I think got a full ride to Duke for pre-med. Ooh. Yeah. She's super smart. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's gonna, she's gonna be a big timey doctor very nice. soon. Yeah. I don't, I've never, I don't think I've ever known anyone who's got a, a full academic scholarship. Full academic scholarship. Man, you're ride. like genius. Failed my freshman year. Yeah, I college did nothing is a, again. Yeah. Uh, I met this girl and fell for her, and you know, we just I did nothing. Uh, so I was out of school for like four years, but I stayed at State College. Um, and I just hung out in State College. Quick, man. So, quick, quick, quick question: You were Ice Cube. I was. I was, dude. Yeah. So, cause, like, uh, how many? melanated people did you encounter in I, in the state college universe it, well the, the i just feel like there's the not that many colleges like as soon as you get there because me and my homie uh my man darren that i grew up with i've known darren since i was five years old we went to kindergarten together like through jenks and every day together for you know, most of our lives so he was up there with me okay and i met a bunch of cats pretty quickly but again it was uh, I met um, my friend Keith, uh, my man Keith Gibbs, who, you know, he and I just talked the other day. I've known this guy for almost 30 years. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're an old man. You know, you've, you've, you've lived a lot anyway, of life uh, on this planet. Him, him and my it's man all good. Ken. I met, met all these guys at yeah. this bar, just a little 18 and over uh, spot you can go to on Tuesday nights. So yeah. Were they served alcohol? No. Okay. Yeah, but that was the one bar right. you can get into. You and could, dance you can, all right. Stuff. Yeah, because I, I, uh, I would just I would feel like, man, if you legally served 18 year olds in a town like State College, I feel like the world the would place catch burned down. Fire. Yeah. It would have, the whole town would have burned okay. down. And it's, it's been, there have been several riots in State College. When I was oh, there, yeah, I believe it. When I was there mm-hmm. in the 90s, there were a few riots. Yeah, yeah. Sounds um, about right. But, you know, I, but you could encounter, so, the, the weird thing about State College is you could encounter so many different types of people sure yeah um but like right there in the middle of campus there was a place called the paul robeson cultural center okay and at the yeah. robe you know they would throw all the parties and stuff mm-hmm. and you'd, you know hang out meet everybody and then for, for whatever reason after all the parties everybody would go down to mcdonald's awesome. and then for about an hour mcdonald's on college avenue was the blackest place wow. in the yeah. world <laughs> so much so that during one of the riots um like you know, because it got so black, like yeah. most of the police department was mm-hmm. down there sure. chilling. Absolutely. Yeah. At the same time, two blocks away, there was a couple on a balcony fucking. Yeah. And everybody started watching that. And then it turned into this thing. Right. And uh, and the cops were like, oh, wait, we're missing this whole thing because there's a bunch of black kids down here. Mm-hmm. Because, so they went yeah. to handle that. And after that, like everybody got mad. And there was a two year black boycott of mcdonald's and it was amazing yeah yeah and finally mcdonald's and you know the and everybody apologized and it was like okay we can go back to mcdonald's now. right yeah. it was fantastic yeah. it was fantastic um and that's where i met uh state college is where i met the uh 
the couple of guys that got me rhyming again. Because I used to rap when I was a, when I was a young boy. I wrote my first rhyme on the back of the bus. Uh, I was going by the name Disco G at the time. Okay. This was uh, I was Disco about, G. Disco G, son. <laughs> now, what was it? Because you like disco? Was it a play off of the Fat Boys' original name, which was the no, Disco was, Three? No, this was before. This is before I even knew about the Fat Boys. Okay. This was seventy nine. Okay. Because this was first grade. How old I, are you? I'm, like I don't. I'm I don't. Six. Okay. All right. That's, all right. I'm forty. So that's not too much of a difference. But I'm just. Yeah. I I have a hard time envisioning a world like where people knew about music before the Fat Boys because <laughs> I think I knew about them when I was like six or something. Yeah. My my middle yeah, brother this, had yeah, the one where like boys. they're eating the pizza on the cover. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was that all you can eat? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um. So no, me and my man Quincy. Uh, he was Master Q. All right. And I was Disco G because my last name's Green. Disco G. Yeah. Uh, and it flowed better than Disco R. So. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Disco R doesn't exactly. roll off the tongue. So. Um, but I would just kind of random. That was one of the things that a lot of people didn't know about me until uh, when I went to Penn State and I met my man, uh, this cat named Lewis, uh, who goes by the name Lewis Logic, one of the dopest MCs that I've ever heard in my life and a dear, dear friend of mine. He was like, Rand, you know, you're pretty good at this. Like, because we would just kind of freestyle at parties and stuff. And he was like, yo, you, like, let's do something. So me and him, and uh, we started doing a little bit of work together. I met a cat named Shanti. Little Indian guy, about yay big, maybe five, mm-hmm. three bars. Yeah. Uh, and so we started doing some work together, and that's when I really started, like, working on this rap stuff. Uh, I've been doing that since 95. Okay. And, you know, left Penn State, came home, had some kids. Here I am. I love it. And then it wasn't long after the triple started that you actually started up with Gangsta Grass. Yeah, yeah, that was the same month. Can can I just pause and say, Lynn, that was an amazing like segue, like volleyball, uh, like you know, th- throw up your 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 podcasting and hosting skills are are coming through in you know, this interview. This this guy right here, he's oh, he's he's, so he's good. good. Well, so I. But before we go into Gangsta Grass, I have a couple of questions for the two of you guys, because this is just something I'm curious about. All right. So, Len, you said that you you were reading a lot of comics mm-hmm. when you were coming up. So this is something I've always like wondered about. Um, I So I didn't really read a lot of comic books when I was a kid. And the ones that I read were the ones you would get at the grocery store. And it was usually whatever I saw on Nickelodeon and then I'm like oh there's a Danger Mouse comic book awesome or Plastic Man and they were like 50 cents or whatever so that's so that's what I read I honestly don't think I knew that um Captain America and Iron Man and Spider-Man existed in comic books maybe until I was in middle school cuz like I saw them on different TV shows or different movies okay. so I didn't know any of that stuff and no one that I hung out with was like, reading comics. Yeah, was was reading comics. So so I didn't know about any of that. And then um when I was in high school, the high school that I went to was in Northern Virginia and it was like a 90% white environment. Like the the town population or the black population in my town was like maybe at the most 9%, maybe 5% and they certainly weren't in my neighborhood. Like uh, you know, I always tell people that on in high school on my school bus, there were three black people. One was me, one was a kid named Andre. His family was from Trinidad. And the third person was the bus driver. So <laughs> so that's the environment that I went to high school in, which I wasn't even I wasn't even weird to me because most of my friends in California were white. So I was just like, all right, well, like I pretty much only hang out with white kids, but I'm at least used to being around other black people. Um, 
But so definitely in high school, that's when a lot of um, the like the super, super like, oh, like, why do you like that stuff? Like, why do you why do you listen to the Beatles? Why do you listen to Pink Floyd? Why do you read this stuff? And so I was always the narrative that I received or that I felt like I was receiving was that even comic books was a was a white thing. Anything that was science fiction or fantasy was white. So like no black people talked about Lord of the Rings. No black people were like really, I used to get clowned for liking Star Trek. And I was sort of like, everyone likes Star Trek. Like there's tons of like, yeah, every, every nationality is on there. And like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I was surprised to learn. It wasn't really until I met Naomi and her brothers, like she was way into comics when she was a little kid, her brothers were into them. So like that's when I first like started hearing black people be like, oh no, like I love Iron Man, I love Wolverine, I love Thor, I love all of it. So I mean, what like were were there, you know, and Tana Hesse Coates has been very open about like how reading comic books was an escape for him growing up in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. So I mean, was it fairly common for other black kids to be into comic books or, you know, to the degree that you can remember? Oh no, it was it was Okay, was it fairly common? It was common. It was like common. There, like, there were other friends of mine that were okay. into yeah. comics. Um, was it all of my friends? No. Was it most of my friends? Probably not. Sure, either. okay. So, it, um, which I feel, I think, you know, comics were a bit of escapism, you know, all through, you know, when they started, they were yeah. pieces of, of escapism. Um, and I think once comics became economically accessible mm -hmm. for mm. for black people that's when it became even more and more you know commonplace for people to love comics and and i shouldn't even say that because they've always been accessible but my, my mom and dad talk about talked about having comic books. yeah um it's just that you know they would have they get a comic and they'd hold on to it for dear life because mm -hmm. who knows when they're going to get the next one? Yeah. They're never going to get the next nickel to buy a comic. Right? Yeah. They were at that point, so it, it 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 certainly wasn't super prevalent, but it was there. And once I I found that once a parent saw that you liked comic books, well, okay, he's reading something. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. or she's yeah. reading something yeah. so they're going to as much as they can invest in that so if we go to the supermarket and we're about to check out and there's a Archie or Richie Rich digest up right. there and I'm like oh can I get that my mom sure buy it one because it's a digest and even though it may cost a buck you know it's a hundred pages worth of comics so that'll last me for at least a good month in her mind um, and two, like she said, like I said, he's reading something. So while I, I did learn to love Batman and Superman and DC comics and all that type of stuff. And I think honestly, I learned to love them because um, I had a cousin in South Philly who had comic books and he had, he had the Superman and Batman. Okay, comics. Yeah. I had Richie Rich and Archie because that was at the path mark and that was at the checkout. And yeah, that's, what, gotcha. that's what I got. But on my neighborhood, on my block in Germantown, there was a, uh, two guys that I played with named Richie and boo boo. They had comic books, but they had Marvel comic mm, books. Mm -hmm. So I had Superman and Batman. They had Spider-Man and the fantastic four and the Hulk. And I was like, who are these? This don't sound this. Yeah. What do you mean they're a family? What do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean he's troubled and he's got angst and he don't have no money? That's different. You want to trade? And then you start yeah, trading yeah. comic books. And 
that's that's where my geek geek was born. Yeah. My fire was lit. So uh like who were looking back, who were like what were the favorite comic books? Oh my or, fa- yeah, or favorite characters, you know, yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, you know, like I'm a Batman head and, Okay. And I think I I came up on Batman because Batman seemed like he was the most in the DC comics that I was reading, he was the most visually interesting. So okay. Superman was like a white guy in a cape. Yeah. You know, but Batman had a mask. He was hiding his he was hiding yeah. his face for all intents. Like I never even it never even dawned on me. I never even thought of Batman as a white guy. He yeah, was just a gotcha. guy who took mm-hmm. off his mask and then he was a rich guy. He mm-hmm. was a white guy, he was a rich guy. Mm-hmm. Um so Batman was the most visually interesting to me and I think that's why, you know, I I you know, gravitated towards him. But if I'm being totally honest, as many Batman comic books as I had growing up, I had even more Richie Rich comic books. And they nice. the dribbles yeah. kid me this to this day. I love it. But I had I love Richie Rich. And Richie Rich is, you know, the poor little rich boy. Um and I think it was just the idea of the the fantasy of being of having as much mm, money mm-hmm. as in the world to do what Ever you wanted, and you know there was no possibility that was that was beyond his his reach. Yeah, okay. And that when I think back, that's probably what you know I enjoyed about him because yeah. that invigorated w- with me because I was like, yo, why can't I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, Richie Rich can do it, I can do it. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't have as much money as him, but I can do the Len Way version of this. Um, so I had Richie Rich comics. Richie Rich was that dude. I don't care what nobody say. Son. No, I, yeah, I love it. You don't it. even know Richie Rich. But Richie Rich was right. that dude. No, he was corny looking. He wore a bow tie and shorts. Yes, I ain't going to front. He was he was a weird looking kid. And it was had some questionable, you know, parenting. But he had <laughs> stacks of dough. He had stacks. And he and he would give out his stacks. Yeah. And he would and love, he yeah. always was cool with his friends. He was as rich as he was, he was still down to earth. I, I respect that. No, I, I love it. And honestly, like it's stories like that is is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast because one of the things I love is when I'm talking to people, you know, I, I, I like for like these things to like pop up organically and I like to be like really surprised by something. And I also like when there's this thing that on the surface, it's like, Oh, like, well that to a lot of people, it's like that actually, that wouldn't make sense. Why would a person from this background be attracted to this character? But then when you hear the why, for for me, the why is always the most interesting part. Like not the thing, but it's it's like okay, and yeah, I mean, and and I think it it also really just it helps to to like break down these like assumptions that people make about people's childhood. Because the, one of the things I've realized is that the more I talk to people, and the more I talk to black people specifically, everyone has in their background this thing where when people hear it, they're sort of like, huh, that that doesn't seem to make sense in the beginning, and then when you hear them talk about it, it's like. Oh, that actually makes a ton of sense. Like it makes right. a ton of sense, and 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 with the Richie Rich thing, I'm 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 finding it uh, particularly hilarious right now because Naomi and I were talking. Uh, it was like a week ago, and we were we were somehow talking about comic books, and she was talking about how like she really loved the whole like Archie comic books, yes. and she 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 loved as uh, it's Betty and Veronica yes, the yeah. two, and and I was uh, I was. A bit surprised by it, just because one, 
Um, Naomi is not shy in sharing her opinions about white people, either to white people or to anyone. Um, and she's not shy in sharing her opinions about the way that many white women uh, act in the world, uh, mm-hmm. even today, which is all 100% true. Um, so I was just sort of like... You know, and granted, I you know I haven't read those comics, so I can't speak of them. But I'm I was also just sort of like, oh yeah, but like you know, you grew up in like these super insulated black worlds. Like you know, she li- lived in Harlem, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, like North Jersey, and then like an all black section of Grand Rapids. And most of the white friends that she has now are like white women that have black husbands and like went to school with black people. So it's mm-hmm. like, um, so I was sort of I was just like. I feel like that world is sort of like the complete antithesis of what you grew up in. But maybe that was, you know, like part of the attraction or, you know, maybe there were elements like with, you know, about the friendship and the camaraderie. Yeah, I think she was like attracted to like, you know, yeah, like, you know, this this collective of friends. Well, I think when you're reading comic books and I don't know if Randy agrees, we'll soon find out. But I think that when you're reading comic books from a younger perspective and especially maybe, you know, years removed from the last say 10, 15, 20 years where life and love and to a degree culture has become slightly polarized. Yeah. Um, Slightly, extremely. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, I think when you're looking at it back then from those eyes, you have a bit of a blinder oh, to that's that you're, definitely. you're reading two white girls mm-hmm. just having, you know, these are white girls acting all Becky yeah. in, uh, over some redhead, you know, doofus. Yeah. Um, and you're just watching these two girlfriends. Absolutely. You know, who are, who, you know, are different in some ways that they find a commonality enough to be best of friends mm-hmm. for one another. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the same thing for, for comic books. I, I know that, I was cognizant that there wasn't a lot of black superheroes, especially in the DC comics yeah. that I was reading, but it didn't bother me. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like when I saw Luke Cage or Black Panther, then they just stuck out that much mm-hmm. more for me, but it didn't yeah. bother me. I still got lost in the spectacle and the fantasy of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's one of the things that I'm consciously, trying to like bring back into my adult life where, you know, cause I definitely had my like, you know, very, I don't even know if naive is, is the right word. Cause it's like, I mean, when you're eight, you're eight. So like, you know what you know. And yeah. you know, Naomi and I talk about this in raising Mercer. It's like, I, we don't want him at eight years old to like, you know, you need to know the history of apartheid and what the Afrikaners did to the, it's like, he will learn that and it's like yeah let him be a kid because like being an adult as we know it's like there's enough crazy shit to like drive you insane so let kids be kids but also um and you're going to be an adult longer than you are absolutely oh yeah that's a yeah that's a very good point yeah yeah i never thought about that and uh, one of the things i also find super interesting is um like like I've, I've seen that with so many different people like you know so I like I interviewed my dad for the podcast you know and my dad is a guy who's like really only listens to hard bop jazz like 1955 to 1964 music <laughs> right. begins in 54 and ends in 65 like that's it that's it I mean and and my dad like um my parents didn't really have any real white friends until they were in their 50s 
you know, because they were born in the 40s and, you know, my dad grew up in segregated Chicago. But like, you know, my dad listened to Benny Goodman when he was a kid, like, you know, and Benny Goodman was played in the all black barbershop that he worked at, you know, and like Tommy Dorsey and Jimmy Dorsey, like he liked them. Yeah. He liked the movies of Steve McQueen. Like he loved Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, uh, Like my, yeah, like. And and that was part of the reason why my dad liked him because my dad is a very like buttoned up business guy. So he's like, yeah, this, you know, dude on a motorcycle who's like escaping Nazis. So he was really into that, you know, and my mom loved Lucille Ball, loved mm-hmm. Karen Carpenter. I would guess that the Mary Tyler Moore, any show that Mary Tyler Moore's ever been on, like aside from Claire Huxtable, Mary Tyler Moore is probably like that. That's the woman that's that my mom, to. that's her yeah. go to. That's who she connects with. And even, you know, my father-in-law who doesn't shy away from saying very unsavory things about white people. And then shortly after that, he will then say like, you know, people need to be more integrated. And they, like, he'll call white people crackers and then say, there's not enough white people in this neighborhood. And saying, all right, you know, and he just likes to be provocative sometimes. But I mean, like he Westerns are his favorite, like his favorite movies. And this is a dude who was a Marxist who like, you know, was super like, you know, tear down white Babylon government. And, Loves any old John Wayne movie. Like I got him the Searchers for Father's Day. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like. So not only in a genre that's essentially about white domination over over uh, indigenous people, Mm -hmm. but then like the John Wayne movies are the fucking epitome of it. But you know, but when he's seen it as a little kid, like that, that he he doesn't see that, and like there's still a connection. I mean, and he still watches like The Rifleman and Wells Fargo to this day. Yeah, and my my mother in law loves. Loves the rifleman too. Yeah, like it's it's super fascinating. So yeah, Randy, what's what's uh, your take you know, on the, all of this? The thing I've I've been finding fascinating over the last few years is uh the idea of this really like everybody's all about the idea of representation mm-hmm. in in their in their popular media, um and I it never crossed my mind growing up as a kid. It hmm. never it it didn't mean anything to me like if if something caught me it caught me gotcha and so it it took me watching uh empire strikes back for about the 30th time before i realized hey wait a minute atlanta's the first black dude i've mm-hmm, seen in this mm-hmm. whole thing yeah huh, interesting and then just you know just kept it moving it never it never occurred to me for a a very very long time in comics nothing like um you know my when i was when i was a kid and just reading like a little bit of stuff the stuff i was reading was superman batman captain america thor uh, like i had a captain yeah. i had captain america and thor subscriptions they would come to my house every yeah. month and, you know that was just my thing um and it never it never crossed my mind and i feel like now if if you're going to make a big deal about it, if you're really if it's really going to matter to you, then it's your job to not only you know you know, make it matter in in you know on Twitter, mm-hmm. but you need to be there when that stuff is available. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, there's a great book that just came out called Excellence by uh, Brandon Thompson, Carrie Randolph. It's about okay. A group of black magicians. Like black sorcerers and and this group called the Aegeus that sort of runs mm. the world and they take care of mm-hmm. people and so on and so forth. And it's a comic book. It's a comic book and it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. 
And I have been, you know, championing this, championing this book for, for several reasons. A, because it's really good. Yeah. And B, this is what we wanted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then, you know, if you're in a comic book store, if you are on any on any level, not only should you be buying this mm-hmm. book, you should know about it because this mm-hmm. is what we wanted. I agree. Right? And you know, it's very good. That if it were terrible, sure. Because let me just tell you, there's a lot of like independent, like self published stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, yeah, I, I, I get. I see what you're trying to do. Sure, sure, and, sure. You know, more power to more you power for to trying you. to yeah. do it. But maybe you should talk to a couple people first. Maybe mm-hmm. you should get spell check on your computer mm-hmm. before you put these out and want to give them to people and want other people to read. Yeah, maybe and, that should happen. And first. Everything needs to pass a certain type of smell test. I'm yeah. not. I'm not a believer in ridiculous obstacles. But the problem with the Facebook generation is that it's like you can curate anything you want, as opposed to the old. Whatever olden days where it's like, well, someone had to sign off on this. And and like, so yeah, the with the democratization and self publishing, anything can get through. Anything can get through. That doesn't make it good. And and you you need to have something of like it's it's the same thing with for me personally, it's the same thing with rap music. mm -hmm. Like anybody can put out stuff in the world. Sure. And there's an entire generation of SoundCloud rappers that were like, Well, I'm gonna record this and for whatever reason, it becomes a thing, even if from a a standard, even from the 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 lowest standard. Uh, my partner Dolio and I, uh, the the other MC in Gangster Grass, he and I have determined that if your verses aren't at least as good as Bobby Brown's verse on "Take Control" mm-hmm. from Ghostbusters Two, you shouldn't rap. That's that is the lowest, I like that. the lowest yeah, standard. That's fair. Of, uh, and if you're not at least that good. You should stop doing it, and there's a there's a lot of cats that just ain't that good. Right. So you should probably stop doing it. Also, I, I love I love that song. I had the cassette single amazing, when right? when I was. Wait, a I was kid. just watching Ghostbusters two yesterday. Awesome. You should uh, definitely talk to Naomi about that. One because she's never seen the first Ghostbusters, which I just find appalling. <laughs> she's just all about Ghostbusters two. Yeah, and she saw it when she was like in fifth grade or something, oh, and it like amazing. really made a mark. Because I don't I don't remember that. Mu- I I know all the stuff that everyone else remembers from Ghostbusters two of is Vigo. Uh, like that that's know, all I remember. Uh, it was Peter uh, yeah. McCarthy. Peter, what's his name? Peter McNichol. Played that guy. Oh, Played, really? Uh, Janos Poha. Oh, really? Oh, nice. my God. That character is hilarious. Yeah. And it wasn't, was, he was on Ally McBeal later, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. he was. Okay. Ooh, yeah, because I, I didn't know his name, yeah. but I knew his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, 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 like the Ally McBeal guy. But also, apparently, in Ghostbusters 2, there's a scene where, like, a bunch of people are holding hands and singing. Yes. Or something. And yes. so... I guess in Naomi's mind that planted like like she she's like oh I love it because it's like all these different races yeah. singing and I'm like I don't I don't remember that because I saw it on a field trip but that's a side story as you were saying <laughs> um, SoundCloud rappers yeah, if if you yeah. can't oh man if you're not at least as good as Bobby Brown or Ghostbusters two on Take Control yeah like you should stop doing it agreed and agreed there there should I don't know I don't know if I should be in charge of that I think I should be but you know that's just me. Yeah, no, there, there's um, it, that just reminds me. There, there's this um, there's a, a a documentary called I think it's Exit Through the Gift Shop, and it's about the yes. yeah, the, like the 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 whole street art graffiti yeah. art, and yeah. then this guy Mr. Brainwash who just makes this like he just makes that like weird. It's like it's Elvis holding a machine gun, like like all of his 
artwork. It's extremely formulaic. But he fucking blew up. And part of how he blew up was um, Banksy did like a sort of Banksy-esque endorsement of him because like this guy was, he was like an art collector and he was friends or, and he like, he was a photographer and he documented all this stuff. He's like, Oh, I, I want to make art too. And so then he asked Banksy to like do an endorsement. And I think if I'm remembering you, it just said like, you know, um, he's like, Mr. Brainwash is unlike any other artist I've ever seen before. And I don't even think that's a good thing, but he fucking blew up. But they, but at the end, if you remember, you know, Banksy, he was saying something like, he's like, you know, I used to think that everyone should be able to, to make art. And, and if they feel motivated to make it, they should. And he's like, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Cause like (laughs) this dude who's really not that good is a fucking making boatloads of money and traveling to Milan and freaking Zagreb, Croatia or whatever, while other cats have been like struggling. And he's just like taking their stuff and doing the like, oh, I put a little cherry on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The whole Andy Warhol. Of yeah. Fucking art. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm someone who continues to be amazed at this and bewildered by this love of Andy Warhol, who I believe was a hack. And a, a, a artistic criminal who stole Ooh, strong stuff words. Guys, I mean, get yeah. the fuck out of here, Andy Warhol, you bitch ass. Body <laughs> just blowing Warhol. up um, pictures of like you know, fucking taking Campbell's. No, yeah, yeah, he had the Campbell soup, yeah, and the Marilyn Monroe Marilyn portrait, Monroe, and then he blew up a fucking a comic strip panel and shit, so you can see the dots. It is an Andy Warhol. Fuck you. <laughs> Body shots to Andy Warhol. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's funny because you know, uh, as as an artist, I, I see that you know, and you know, I because if if you ever seen Len stuff, this guy's fantastic. Yeah, uh, he's actually okay. a, also a designer. He designed oh nice my, my logo here, uh, which that's is very a, in, cool. It's in the shape of Superman yeah. symbol, and it's with an R in it, and in the middle of the R is a microphone. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't Beautiful notice that stuff. was a was a microphone, um, and you know to. To live in a world where Andy Warhol is, you know, revered as the guy, it's like living in a world where, you know, little Uzi Vert's got millions and millions of dollars, and you've been writing all, you know, I, it, I, I, I know that pain. Well, you know that pain, that pain specifically. Sorry, because of the whole gangster grass thing. Gangster grass, which is a bluegrass hip hop band, unlike any other, ladies and gentlemen, they are beasts, beasts of the southern wild. That's what they are. They are so beasts. That is exactly what they are. They are bluegrass hip hop band. Ren and Dolio the Sleuth are the rappers of the band. My man Wrench is the creator he he is the the mind that puts this all together they've been rocking out for years um like i said since the black triples that started they've been they've done shows all across the world and that is not hyperbole they've been all across the world i think the only place they haven't been in the world is Near, near, uh, to the North Pole, and they're scheduled to go there in April of <laughs> nice. 2020. I love it. So that's how beast they are. But this is your pain because have y'all been rocking out, you know, at the top or near the top top of the bluegrass charts for years, and now some little scrawny little punk comes and like steals your thunder <laughs> with the most basic shit. 
in oh, the man. world. Tell them your pain, Ray. So, Share your pain. Now, I, I just want to, I want to go through a couple things. Just, just, you know, to get I'm everything. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I love it. No, I'm not. I'm not even mad at that. I'm. This is also part of me trying to like, you know. I'm sure you guys encountered this when you were first starting with Black Tribbles, where you know, I'm like, you know, checking the levels to make every sure everything's recording. Then I'm like watching the time, and I'm trying to think like, oh, they've made like seven good points. What things do I do a deep dive on? Like, I'm trying to hit all the points and not have it be a seven hour interview. Right, right. So let me see if I can remember all of this. One. I might have to do so I kind of I'm not really going to do this, but I kind of want to do like a jokey follow up where I bring in different guests who have wildly opposing views on something and then have them be in an interview together. Because one of the women I interviewed, Tatiana, like she was maybe the third person I interviewed. I think she loves Andy Warhol. So I might want you and her to be in like the same room. Tatiana, is she a photographer? No, she is a screen printer, and she okay. and she works at a at a kombucha brewing company. Okay. Now, yeah, her name's yeah. Um. Uh. So I just thought that was funny. Um. Oh, you could do that with me and Len for like three days. Okay. <laughs> Jesus that, Christ. Uh. So so I was thinking of that, and then I was um. So yeah, I just want to say for the record, I have no opinions about Andy Warhol one way or the other. I don't know anything about his art. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not really a fan of like the views of. Uh... Len Weber, not a views of the punk rock barbershop. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, I, Freddie Warhol uh, Foundation wants to uh, sponsor the punk, punk rock barbershop. Please, yeah, please do. So, yeah, uh, so I, I love it. I, uh, I, I love it. Uh, the other thing was, and and you can answer this, you know, if you want to, because um, we're definitely going to talk about Gangsta Grass uh, in a few minutes. I'm wondering, and both of you can answer this. With people like Andy Warhol, or I'm assuming you're talking about Lil Nas X, is that yeah. the, you know, he's the new thing in hip hop cowboy stuff. Is it like, do you think it's just like it's the story around them that people find interesting? Because I, one of the people I also interviewed for this said that he was always in the world of Marvel. He was always more of a Jack Kirby guy than a Stan Lee guy. And he said that he thought that the people really like latched on to the Stan Lee narrative. And and that was so compelling that like they didn't have time for Jack Kirby. And I kind of feel like that happens in pop culture a lot where it's just like, oh, this person is good. But like if they weren't. um, So and this is someone who I love, Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight, I if he had made that same movie or if he had just made a movie about people sitting around drinking tea, which was essentially his first movie, Medicine for Melancholy. No one fucking cared about Medicine for Melancholy. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. I dug it because I was like, finally, it's just like black hipsters riding around a city talking about all the shit that I talk about. (laughs) You know, like, awesome. I love it. But when Moonlight came out, People were so in love with like, well, he's really dark skin and he's from Liberty City and and, you know, black and LGBTQ plus intersectionality is the thing that everyone's into. It's like and it's like and like I love all of that. But like. The fact that he's made this particular movie, I feel like people now find him a more interesting person than Medicine for Melancholy, which is, again, just black people talking. So, like, do you think that's a part of the. The Andy Warhol, you know, it was the the thing and he died relatively young and he had crazy people just like living in his loft and da 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 Other than the, the actual art itself. Yeah, I yeah. Think there's probably something to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, same, the same with Lil Nas X. And I think uh, he has 
you know, as a part of this generation that's yeah. all about that. Yeah. You know, the idea of the stuff around you mm-hmm. as opposed to what you're actually doing. Yeah. I, I'll give him the fact that he's he knows how to manipulate that to a T. Like he, you know, nobody knew that he was that he was gay, and then it was like, Oh wait, I'm gay too. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, all right. And and which for whatever reason made him cooler. It's a more it, compelling it, narrative because because I, of the inherent contradictions of rapping and country and gay, like with two demographics that are so wildly homophobic that there's so much yeah, latent homoeroticism yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. in there. And like, yeah, it's it's very of this time. Yeah. Which allows you to ignore the fact that he's not very good at sure. what he does. Yeah. And, and and at the at the end of the day, for me, that's the bigger issue. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, be good at what you do mm-hmm. first. Um, and whoever gave him the idea to put his name together, if that was his idea, right. fine. Sure. And take all of these things that exist within a within a, a, a rap world yeah. and mean something within that world and put them all together and, and claim that. But the fact that and this is the thing I've been saying for a while. The the idea that within his name, he chose the name Nas, right? Which in in hip hop circles mm-hmm. is is damn near god level, yes. right? Yes. I would not have had a problem with if in somewhere in his name was if his name was Nasir. Yeah. It's not. Sure. That troubles me on a level that I can barely it, it would be like, and and this is the metaphor I've used multiple times. If I came out with an R and B album and called myself Stevie Wonderful, sure, yeah, but yeah. can't sing or right. play anything, that's fraudulent. Gotcha. Even if I, you know, but but I adopted four hundred cats and I saved them all, and they all live in my house, and I'm very ha- and uh, I'm a vegan that only eats food that's grown during the daytime, so that you know I'm <laughs> I'm that much more interesting. I, and you I would know, love to I, meet that vegan. You know, like and, you know, like all this other stuff exists <laughs> mm-hmm. in my world that it makes me cool to people, but I can't do the thing that I'm famous for. Is whack. That, for me, it's just whack. I hear you. I so hear you. That, no, yeah. I've I've never heard any of his his music. I learned. I think I learned about him two months ago or something, and I'm. I was just like, oh, okay. I I, I was really wondering about the Nas part because I'm like, that seems like a yeah. I I, I thing, yeah. I, I I was gonna go with like yeah. If if my, if you were like, my name is Jimmy Beethoven, like. Are you like actually Beethoven? No, my last name is you know Peterson, but, uh, but I like the way I, Beethoven sounds. Yeah, like, can you play anything? Yeah, no, 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 can no. Can you no, write yeah. music? No, no, you can't do that. Is his raps not as good as Bobby Brown's on Take Control? Not even close. I would say they're about. T- do you I, honestly feel that way, or do you no, feel that way to make I, a point I, to your I, I, your I, I compatriots? I'll put Bobby. I'll put Bobby. If you do a battle, I'll put Bobby. I'll put Bobby. Okay. On. I don't know, Randy. If you hadn't put that benchmark on recorded record, I I wouldn't be like <laughs> making this face right now. Put, I don't know. I think I think his rhymes. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's like a great rapper by any stretch of the imagination. But you said 
you got to be at, at least, least as good, good as Bobby Brown on Take Control. I think it's as good as Bobby Brown. I, 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 I think you just like Bobby Brown. I'm, well, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, but I'll, I'll bang Take Control any day of the week. Any day of the week. That's that's the lowest I'm going to go. Okay. They called the Bose Brothers and they're in control. Had them throwing a party for a bunch of children where all the while the slime was under the building. So they backed up, regrouped, got equipped, came equipped, grabbed the proton packs on their back, then they flipped. Okay, it, so he told the story. That's ter- it's terrible. I love that because I've I've never known what he actually <laughs> says in that part. When I used to try to rhyme along, I never oh, knew yeah, what he was nah, saying. Yeah, I know that thing back and forth. I hilarious. love it. I love it. Hilarious. Um, but no, I feel, like, I, I feel like we should get Little Nas X lyrics out now. No, I, no I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we don't have to do that for multiple reasons. And again, I I have no opinion on Little Nas X. <laughs> I don't police anyone's speech or opinions. I like to know what people think. No, I, I, no, I feel I'm all about. I will police your speech. I, okay. I, I, I will. I will police your speech. I, but I'm I only in the I, only in the idea that you can say what you want. Sure. I just think that everyone in the midst of saying what they want should be prepared for the consequences. Oh, absolutely. That's the absolutely. Thing. I had a girl come up to me once. When I but I don't, I don't view that as policing speech. I just view it as like, no, I'm just you saying, say shit and shit happens. Yeah, exactly. I had yeah. a girl come up to me once. I was working at this bar, um, and I was talking to her two friends. I didn't know this girl. And they introduced me, and she was like, she's three white girls. She was like, I am so glad that I know somebody here because this nigga downstairs. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, um, huh? pardon she was like, oh, I say that to my friends all the time. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You and I ain't friends, We're not though. friends. Like, I know grown men mm-hmm. that would have punched you in your mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Dead in your mouth. Absolutely. Right now. So yeah. I would just advise you to be careful yeah. with that. Uh, there, I, there's a song on my new album called Think It Through. That's what the third verse is about. Like, nice. Okay. You can say that if you want. And, yeah. I, I, and to be fair, I got a couple of, couple of homies that I used to roll with that, you know, when they were younger, they would say that mm-hmm. around me. But mm-hmm. that was my people. Yeah. And 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 they knew better. They yeah. knew not to just take that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you can do that, but oh yeah, just be prepared. Yes, <laughs> somebody yeah. will punch you in mm-hmm. your mouth. Mm-hmm. So I saw a girl get smacked in her teeth because she called another girl bitch. Mm-hmm. Like, she, yo, her mm-hmm. and her friends was doing it. It would do it, and then she was like, she was like, bitch, please. And the girl was like, bam. Like you don't, yeah. you don't know me, don't. Yeah. I was like, oh, dad, right, you gotta leave because you just smacked this girl in the mouth. But I understand why you smacked mm-hmm. her in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer of that with anything. And I've, I've gotten to the point where, like, because when people ask me, like, what do you think about this thing? Da, 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 I'm, I'm like, there are very few. I don't really consider anything offensive. Like, if David Duke was on TV being like, I fucking hate niggers, I wouldn't be like, I am offended. It's like, I, well, I. That's what that's I expect David, from him. Yeah, so like, like I'm not surprised. Um, and so I always tell people, you know, it's like you I'm not going to police what you say, but very much to your point. It's like I'm a fairly diplomatic person. So I just I don't want the aggravation and I don't want a, an assault arrest on my record <laughs> exactly. for smacking you. I'm not going to smack you. Yeah, now. I'm not. But I can't guarantee that someone else will. Yeah, and everybody's not me. Yeah. Everybody's not me. Everybody's not me. And I've let certain people know. It's like you can say these things around me because like I know you and I know your heart. So like it's all good. But like if my brother 
spits in your face or my parents decide they want literally nothing to do with you and you know they like leave if you ever come over to my house it's like well don't be surprised and i'm always going to choose my parents over you so with that information do what you will and i wish you the best of luck yeah right but don't don't call if you get hurt don't call me like yeah i'm not i'm not there for you all right so gangsta grass uh, tell us about Gangsta Grass. Um, so I had I had stopped rhyming. Uh, I had stopped doing music in about '03 when my daughter was born. You okay, know, still writing. You know, and I knew every now and again I would just you know do some stuff. Uh, my homie Dolio, who I met in '99 at Penn State, we met in a cipher. Just just a bunch of cats was rhyming outside of a bar. So I have two questions. One is Dolio his birth name? No. I, okay, I'm. No, so, no I, yeah, yeah. and I'm, and this isn't going to be like a, a thing about me, like making jokes about black people. I'm assuming he's black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, this isn't going to be a thing about me, like making fun of black people. Cause I, I hate when black people like clown other black people, especially under the guise of like, I'm just speaking honestly my truth. But yeah. so this is more about me and my insecurity going back to like our earlier conversations about like the black barbershop experience for me. I always felt like every, every black dude I knew in a barbershop had like a nickname that wasn't their name. And, oh, yeah. and I was sort of like, well, I'm just Mike. So like, I used to be like, weird. and then I even went through a phase where I would meet dudes because like, they would like, you know, they would say something like, oh, I'm Dolio or I'm blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't want to be like, is that your actual name? Cause like, and I, I didn't want to seem like I was clowning them, but after a while I'm like, that might be his, like his name on his birth certificate. But, and then I was just like, is it weird that my name is, is, it's just Mike. So like that's that's just my that's my neuroses coming no, through. Right, okay. I dig it. I dig um, it. So right, oh yeah. So so, so you're, you're me friend. and Dolio we met in a cipher. Oh, in oh yeah. Also and then what what is the cipher? Because someone else, uh, this guy I interviewed a couple of, like a month ago, he kept talking about the cipher. And at some point, I realized I'm like I don't know what the cipher. I think I know what it is, but now it's so deep into the conversation, I don't want to ask him. We oh are, yeah, yeah. We are a safe space because yeah. he's like, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. What's the cipher? What's the yeah. cipher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Educate uh, me so on what the cipher. Just a bunch of cats in a circle rhyming. Okay. And just you know everybody hanging out. Um, so we met in a cipher up in, at Penn State outside of a bar, and I was like, "Yo, this dude's mad dope." And he was like, "Yo, this dude's dope." So we got cool. Nice. And uh, and this was you know twenty years ago this year. Um, and so he and I, he when I left Penn State, he went to New York. It was in a couple different spots. He came back to Philly. We reconnected. Um, he met. Uh, Wrench, the guy that created Gangsta Grass, they were in a band together called Battlestar America. That's such a great name. Yeah, yeah it was like a honky tonk and and, and hip hop group. Um, and so, when Wrench created Gangsta Grass, um, and he had the uh, the theme song for the show Justified mm-hmm. um, uh, with another MC, a cat named Tone, um, he wanted to go on tour, and he uh, Tone wasn't able to go, so he reached out to Dolio. And Dolio was working a day job, and you know he wasn't able to go either. Dolio called me and was like, "Hey, Rand, uh, I got this guy. He wants to, you know, this is what he's doing. He he needs an MC. Um, can you do it?" And I was like, uh, "I think so." And this was a Tuesday. I was on my way to work. I uh, told my boss about it, and he was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" He gave me the weekend off. Um, we met on a Wednesday night down at the. M room, which is at the corner of Frankfurt and Gerard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was then. I don't know if it's still around yeah, now. Um, and we met. We did a show. Like I got on stage with them and just just spit some of my old mm-hmm. raps over some of their stuff and freestyled some stuff. And then I got in a van with them and drove down to North Carolina. That's cool. Which is which is the kind of thing. Like I said, I I don't recommend 
anybody else do that. Like, sure. You just don't get on stage with some people and then just get in a van with them and drive off. But I'm a fairly large dude, so I can yes, you probably are. get away with yeah. it. Um, and, and, then and then if from there, if, if heaven forbid something uh, horrible happened to you, the old white lady in Chestnut Hill that jumped into the street <laughs> when you were approaching, she would have been like, I knew, I knew it. it. He I was up to no good. <laughs> She would have been totally yeah. justified in, right. in racing into Germans on Avenue. Absolutely, and also, if any horrible thing happened to any black man ever, she would she would assume that all of them were that you know yeah. that little yeah, that, that, that little ten year old boy. Yeah, yeah, so she, she's it. like, it, it has to be one of them. You know, yeah, it's one of those three. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, I came back that week. I came back that Sunday, and from there, we just started building. Um, uh, you know, been touring with them for eight years now. It'll be nine years in April. Um, we've put out three, uh, since then, three, no, th- that was Rappalachia. Four albums since then, three studio albums and one live album that we put out last year. Um, the live album spent 17 weeks on the Bluegrass Billboard charts. Oh, that's cool. Um, we were... We were this close to a Grammy nomination really? this year. Awesome. Yeah, but we got bumped into the Americana category, mm. which is like, all right, we don't know where to put this, so right. Americana yeah. it is. But we've started this campaign. Um, we have a couple of different sort of hashtags that are out there now. That, it, that One of them is that uh, hip-hop music is folk music, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, hip-hop is Americana. Because Absolutely. It, quite literally, there's, there is no more... more American born music mm-hmm. than hip hop music. Absolutely. Uh and so, you know, we've been been doing that and uh really just sort of going around the country and around the world. We've been to a, a few different spots in, in Europe. We're going to uh uh and in Canada, we're going to uh we're working with uh the State Department has this program called American Music Abroad. Oh, that's awesome. And we're going uh with that program to Morocco and to a place called Baffin Bay, which is up in the Arctic Circle. Wow. Uh, so we're going, you know, we're doing awesome. that in April. And, you know, the idea is that um, when you take the the two musics, like bluegrass music and hip hop music, mm-hmm. on a very basic level, they're very, very similar in their their structure. Like a lot of the bluegrass stuff that you hear, because there's no percussion in it, um, but it's very, uh, um, uh, what's, the, what's that word that I'm looking for? A lot of it's just made up. You know, just just right there on the fly, mm-hmm. you know, and you know you have that same sort of thing that exists in in hip hop with mm-hmm. you know with mm-hmm. di- different scratch techniques and with with freestyle rhymes and stuff. A lot of it is just sort of made up right there on the spot. And then the idea that it was all sort of born from the people at that time and mm-hmm. what they had around, yeah, yeah. right. So you know, we always tell people. Um, in bluegrass, there's this thing called a pick, and a pick is just a bunch of guys with their instruments, and you know they're trading solos right, back and right. forth, so on and so forth, which is the same thing as a cipher. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you know the things that exist with them, and a lot of the a lot of the musical stories are very much the mm-hmm. same. A lot of the sort of outlaw narratives, yeah, and absolutely, and you know st- stuff about relationships and so on and so forth. There's a an entire genre, uh, like a, a subsection of bluegrass. Uh, called murder ballads, mm. and it was just about dudes that you yeah. know that killed their wives, mm-hmm. or they killed this person, or they murdered that person, and you know a lot of crime stuff. Which is you know when you're talking to people that don't really know much about hip hop, and right. all the only thing they know is like you know they talk a lot about a lot of crime. That, yeah. Well, have yeah. you ever listened to any old bluegrass? Oh, absolutely. Like all, they, all those dudes did was murder mm-hmm. folks. You know yeah. what I mean? So you know we're really trying to make people uh, 
try to get people to understand that that the the similarities that that with exist that with the that exist within the music also you know exist within the lives of the people making mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, I mean, these was just these were broke cats in the in Absolutely. the mountains. Absolutely, you know that were you know coal miners and mm-hmm. loggers and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff that weren't making no real money. Right. So they, how did they express themselves? They just, you know, I, I worked in, I've been in the mine for seventeen hours. Yeah, I'm gonna go sit on my porch and play my fiddle or whatever, you know. And this is how we sort of express our lives, and you know, it got to the point where the sort of elites in in their in their worlds came into that realm and you know enjoyed so much of what they're doing that you know they're making a lot of money off of it um but a lot of there's still a lot of the same cats out here just you know just grinding making yeah. music yeah and so we're really in this idea now that we're trying to get people to understand that a lot of that stuff that you're dealing with is not because of, you know, these brown people over mm-hmm. here yeah. or these white people over here, but because of these people right here with all the money in their pockets. Right. And so if, you know, this group of white people can get over their shit and this group of brown people can get over their shit and they can all kind of start talking to each other and be like, hey, you and I are dealing with a lot of the same shit. Same, same thing. How about yeah. we, you know, you know, coalesce and really sort of make moves on those levels, right? As opposed to saying, "Well, this is your fault. This is your mm-hmm. fault," and ignoring, you know, the the structural things that are sure, on top sure. of all of us. Yeah. So that's a lot of what we're doing, and uh, what we're doing right now, we're actually working on a a, a mixtape right now um, that we're gonna put out of um classic hip-hop joints but playing the samples so my banjo player awesome so we're doing uh mob deep shook Mm -hmm. one so my banjo player is playing that sample and my fiddle player is playing the other sample and me and dolio are just putting verses on it you know what i mean just just going going hard on it um so we're working on that right now i love the next thing that's very cool so something that i am wondering to the degree that you're able to answer this in the in in this particular world of of music you know in the world that bluegrass exists in is there is there a split between like bluegrass and country does it like inter does it intersect or does it depend on um, on who it, you talk to it's the the same thing that exists within bluegrass and like the larger pop country realm that exists mm-hmm. within like a lot of say underground hip hop right. and you know the larger rap scene. Yeah, gotcha. you know I mean? It's a lot of a lot of the same sort of uh a lot of the same sort of division. Okay. Um and you have these really super traditional bluegrass people that have heard our stuff and they're like, no. Sure. Like, no, I no, you can't do that. That's mm-hmm. not bluegrass. And you know, I've encountered a couple of hip hop cats that were like, no. They're yeah, like, you yeah. Know, but but at the end of the day, um you know, one of the things I always tell people is that this is not, this is not like cookie cutter rap shit. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll put my 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 bars against anybody's. Any this mixtape thing we're doing, like I was thinking about it the other day. Like one of the tracks we're doing, the Pharrell Monch as Simon Says. Okay, right. So the idea of trying to rap over a Pharrell Monch beat, like that's that's insane. It's not something that. 
I should be doing. But, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to be, you know, my partner Dolio, this guy, just uh, hit the way he writes is just magnificent. Um, we've got a song called uh, Never Go Home Again about a dude. Uh, it's just two dudes that are having this discussion about the one guy is uh, my verses about him coming home from jail, like him being gone. Uh, you know, as a, I guess as a kid, you know, he was doing a whole lot of crime. He went away to prison and so on and so forth and how it hurt our mom and so on and so forth. And then his verse is about like what he was doing and how he was out there. And and, and it's just one of the most amazing things I've yeah. ever heard it, ever. And I'll put that verse up against quite literally any verse I have ever heard from any MC yeah, no. anywhere, it's that good. I respect it. Um, and so we we are really trying to make sure that that people know that you know none of this is is just a game. It's not just like oh we're gonna get in on this country rap thing. I did an article. Right. Yeah. I did an interview with the uh, the website Hip Hop DX, and I told him like the way I the way I laid it out with him was like yeah that that old town road, we paved that. Mm -hmm. That's Gangsta Grass did that. Yeah. Um, even if you don't know it, we right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm definitely a believer. I mean, one, I just believe that anyone should make whatever art they want, you know, and yeah, okay. and you know, and and similar to like not you know not policing people's uh, speech, but also letting them know like, well, you know, do whatever you want, and then the world will react. So like, I'm a believer of like everyone should make whatever they want and let the world react to it, whatever way they're going to react. But like, if you can live with how people are going to treat you do it i'm also a believer in just like i don't know not uh yeah kind of like slaying the giants and and yeah i i sort of do believe in the the punk rock ethos of like kill, you know kill your idols it's like yeah you know at some point someone is going to come a, uh is going to come across where we're going to be like wow Compared to this person, Kendrick Lamar seems like a child. Like that's going to happen at some point, yeah. you know. That I think that happens in in everything. So I I believe in that. Yeah, and I just I believe in just like yeah, you know, if you want to whatever you want to do. And for me, it's also a, a thing of if you like legitimately like something, like just fucking do it. And like who fucking cares what someone thinks about something? Because I'm sure with a lot of contemporary jazz my dad is just like no like i'm like aside from Wynton marcellus he doesn't really listen to to the current people yeah. like cassandra wilson and because i mean my dad is a pure on like hard bop he's not a purist but he knows what he likes yeah so yeah he can dabble in the fusion like he doesn't begrudge them doing it but he's like yeah like i'll see it once out of curiosity and twice if, you know, if my mom makes him, but like <laughs> if, if someone's like, hey, dad, you want to listen to, you know, this entire weather report, like, you know, uh, archived recording sessions, he'll be like, no, I've got other things to do. So, yeah, I but I'm just like, you know, you you don't need everyone on your team to be into what you're doing. It's just like, you know, if if y'all are happy with what you're doing and hopefully, you know, you're you know, you're getting some type of good compensation for it you know and if yeah if more than anything if you're happy you get to see the world i say yeah keep fucking 
doing it. Yeah. We're, do, we're doing what we can. We're, we're doing the, the, the best that we possibly can. I love it. I love it. I got the horses in the back. Horse tack is attached. Hat is matte black. Got the boots that's black to match. Riding on a horse, huh? You can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley. You ain't been up off that Porsche now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Probably ground all day, son. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If the thing that I love about this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself playing devil's advocate a lot. Okay. This guy is not only the devil's advocate, he is the devil's, uh, like, he does the devil's taxes. Yeah. He, uh, I think he painted the devil's house. Sure, sure, sure. This De- guy, like, devil needs a house painted as well. T- this dude will argue anything. Anything. God bless him. This is what we need in the society. I mean, like it's we're we're in the era of restorative justice, hearing people through, separating people from their behavior. So, Lynn, you you are providing a very good service for the uh, for the the Lil Nas X's and the. <laughs> Um, Mr. Brainwashes. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the, talking about the uh, the argument that you made. That's all. <laughs> I'm not, you know, championing the brother. I'm just going by the argument that you laid down. The going, you laid down here on on the microphone here today. I'm looking here because Mike has. He's just Mike. Mike has a um like his doppelganger <laughs> hanging on the wall behind him. Yeah, who is that? Uh, I'm trying to blank on a brother's name. I know the actor. He's, um, are you talking about that thing right there? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually me. That's not you. Yeah, it's it's me and Naomi's uh, engagement photo. You can't. Are you serious? Yeah. Because you, you dude, can't... you look, look just like what's his name? The bull. The bull. The actor uh, bull. Which one? Shamar Moore? No. no. <laughs> I do not. I, I like Mike, but no, he's not for, Shamar for Moore. For anyone who's never seen me, I look nothing like Shamar Moore. But you know who I'm talking about. That's um. Um, oh wait, he wrote a book too, right? Yes. Uh, I know you're talking about. Um, he was in Get Off, Get Off the Bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on the bus. Get on the bus. Oh God. All right. Hold on. I know you. I'm about. trying to think of who was on. Who was in Get on the Get Get besides, on the Bus? Besides that, Charles Dutton, it was. Yeah. Um, uh, there was Charles Dutton, Roger, uh, Roger Smith, Isaiah. <laughs> Washington. I never know how to pronounce his middle name. It's like French or something. Gouverneur. Gouverneur. Uh, One of the greatest ta- uh, character actors uh, today. I like how you did that. Um, if if you say I look like the Gouvenet. dude that that played the uh, the 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 crack Hill Harper. Addict. Hill oh, Harper. you think I look like Hill Harper? All right. Yeah, yeah. Dude, okay, I see if that. I you see didn't it. tell me that was you, I would swear that was Hill Harper. That's funny. Look, look, look at Hill Harper. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. See, you, I. No, in that in that picture he doesn't I, have his glasses. I on. look so not like Hill Harper that if if a white person had said that, like I would be like, "You're a racist for getting two of us confused." No, that's no, how little I look like Hill no, Harper. Okay, no, if I'm looking at you now, okay. you don't look like Hill Harper. That picture you have right really? there looks just like Hill Harper. That's funny. It looks just like Hill Harper, dude. No, nah, I love it. It, it it does it oh oh it does it does look at that picture the ears and everything man yeah and that and that one yes yeah, but like if you glanced yeah I was sitting here swearing I was looking at you Hill you, th- you thought you thought that was Hill Harper yeah no that's me and Naomi's engagement 
photo. Yeah, if you move that green tub, which I'll do after the interview, yeah, you'll see her because she's you know much shorter than me, and we're sitting on steps. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice picture. Though. Thank you, thank you. It's a lovely picture. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. I'm very, sorry to, for that tangent. No, no, no. That was because for a second I was gonna get super offended because I was I thought you were gonna say um Tyrese because I know that he he wrote a book about like, like how to get your life together. No. Yeah. Now I I see your Hill Harper. And I raise you Dave Ghetto. <laughs> no. Yo. Yeah, I think I look I more like you him. I thought you was Dave Ghetto when you came in the joint. I was like, is that? No, no that's, that's not Dave. Not Dave for, for like a half second. Shout out to Dave Ghetto. Uh, when uh, when I had an MC Afro, Jersey, people, people, I was actually at a party and someone thought I was DJ King Brit. Like I, I had an Afro similar to him. I can see that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I used to look like him. Um, now someone who I will look like when I get older, I think his name it's Stephen L. Carter. Yeah, so if you do a Google search for Stephen and it's spelled Stephen, yeah, with the PH. Stephen L. Carter. I always got growing up, um, especially in my teenage years, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I got that a lot. I mean, you don't look like him now. I guess I'd have Certainly to see a picture. Like now. I mean, were were you rocking the like the flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off and the I was for the, a minute, okay. and then, and then um, it, it was crazy because they said I looked like him when the Cosby Show. I didn't think I looked like him, right? And then he grew locks. Oh yeah, and I had locks. Yeah. So when we both had locks, and and, and around the time that I had locks, I I, I got like a, I was probably like a little heavier. Okay. It just like he had kind of thickened up a little yeah. bit. So people was like, "Yo, you look like like." And I, 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 Okay, thank you. Sure, yeah. It's just yeah. like, you know, just own it. I mean, because there's worse things in the Absolutely. world to be told. Yeah, than, than to look like... Uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yeah, Malcolm Jamal Warner, Mr. Theo Huxtable. Um, did you ever have a, in a, a Gordon Gartrell slash Ichi Yamarada uh, mangled shirt that you're... Uh, you know your sister. You 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 have a sister who's who's eight have, minutes older than you. Did she ever try to make you a Gordon Gartrell? I did not have a Gordon Gartrell shirt, but I did have what probably was a four dollar and fifty cent knockoff of one of the sweaters that he wore on his on Cosby. Awesome. And I saw it, and I actually bought the sweater first because I just thought it was sure. a nice looking sweater. Yeah. And then I saw what it was really supposed to look like on one episode of Cosby. I was like, oh, that's what it's supposed mm, to look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, somehow or another, the Cosby show always gets mentioned on this podcast. Luckily, we were talking about Theo this time, so that's yeah, it's not that bad. Um, so, Lynn, I have a couple of questions for you. One, I want to know, where did you get your shirt, the shirt that you're wearing? Which says, can you tell the people what it says? It says that I bought this shirt. I believe it says shirt. Oh, no, I, I bought this from a black business, and that business would be the Bougie Square Society, uh, hmm. which you can find online um, out of Baltimore, Maryland. Nice. Where they make a whole lot of, like, just really cool T-shirts. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm always I'm always looking for, uh, I'm looking for more, yeah, more black stores that make clothes. Now, and I can find out if I go on their website, do they have any just, like, button-up shirts? No, it's primarily like t-shirts and okay. sweatshirts and stuff like that. And do most of the t-shirts and sweatshirts have slogans or is it like half and half? I'm I'm trying to find I'm trying to find just like if I could find a store that's like H&M except owned by black people, just because, oh. because for me, I'm not a big like slogan on a t-shirt guy. Mm -hmm. Like I used to be when I was in my 20s, like I always loved to have like my band shirt or like, you know, I'm crazy, you know, whatever, but I'm like, nah, I just like button-up shirts, but like I feel like literally 
and I don't think that there's anything wrong with this because people love this stuff. I'm just not one of those people who like I I I personally don't need shirts that say like hashtag melanin or like, you know, yeah, Stokely yeah, yeah. Carmichael yeah. is my uncle. I'm like, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Although if someone made a shirt that said Stokely Carmichael is my uncle, I would like maybe buy that. Uh so that's amazing. So that's cool. I don't. I don't know of any like. Uh, see, like to first of all, to get a black H and M type store, yeah. means that you're going to have a store which caters to a number of different designers, mm-hmm. black yeah. designers. So that's hard to come by. Yeah. as it as it is, you know what I mean. You've got to probably just find like a good designer. If you go down on. And don't go on Maniunk. But if you go on South Street <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even maybe even some parts of like a Baltimore Avenue in, in West Philly, you might be able to find like some uh, designer that's got like a nice little shop. So yeah. You can get like a nice little um, button up. But I can't think of any offhand. I'm I'm sorry to say. Yeah. No, I mean, I also th- I mean, I think it's kind of. Uh... Where's Carl Kanai when you need him? <laughs> or FUBU. Or FUBU. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of the the sign of the times that we're in. I think one just because there is um there is such a focus on outward expressions, very obvious outward expressions of blackness that like I think that that's where like a lot of people like lean to in the world of like fashion where it's just like it's it's all very like hashtag woke or pictures of Asada Shakur or Angela Davis. Um and yeah, and there's like definitely a market for that. And I literally might be the only person on the planet who's like, no, I would just want like, like literally everything that I'm wearing is like, I bought all of this from Target. Like I just, I'm like, it's simple. I know the brand. I know what I can expect with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I also wish that it's like, oh, well, like I would not only want to buy this from a black, you know, buy shirts that are made by a black designer, but like I would also want to like buy it from an actual brick and mortar black business that is hopefully using a black supply chain because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I have I feel no type of I don't feel like I'm doing a disservice to the community like when I buy clothes from Target because literally every Target that I've ever gone in at least in Philadelphia 80% of the people that work there are black so I'm like well the mon- money is going into black hands um, but you know I don't want just wages to go into black hands it's like I actually want stock equity and kill all Mike of that. tried that yeah <laughs> Did yeah, that I work out well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've watched we've watched a few episodes of uh, of Trigger Warning. Yeah, Yo, and his whole like trying to was shop black. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was very insightful. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And hysterical. Yes. Yeah. Him sleeping on a bench that night. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With a can of beans that he couldn't open. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that says a lot. Oh no! Very like that yeah. Says a lot. Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 one of the things. That like I've talked about with a lot of friends because I'm a believer in the like the both and where I I do believe in primarily black spaces and exclusively black space black spaces and I also believe in the like like the idea of well I'm not that concerned with like black people being on the board of the Philadelphia Museum of Art because I I view the PMA as a default white institution because like it was it was made by white people I mean yes. It was designed by black people. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a white space that primarily shows white art for a white audience and has white cultural values, whatever that means. So I'm not even mad with that. And honestly, given the 
the the massive um gaps in like overall just wealth between most white Philadelphians or people in the metro Philadelphia area it's like there's way more money than like we have you know as in terms of overall net worth so even if we it's it's not an it's not an equal dialogue they have more financial means to like drown out our voices yeah. which i'm not even mad at because i mean that's just the history of the country so it's like we're only going to get so far with them i i would rather have a museum that is owned, operated, and staffed by black people that primarily serves black art that is open to e- anyone can come in and spend their money, but this is by, for, and about black people primarily, so put your dollars in there. But I'm also a believer that like black people should work at the PMA, like Naomi used to work there, and black people should be on the board. So it's it's in terms of like businesses, I'm not a believer in like, well, we only need to have just black-owned shops by, for, and about black people. It's like, no, like I would I would love to see a black person like be the CEO of old Navy. Cause we spend a lot of money there. So like yeah, we can, right. we, we can, we can have it all. And like we, we actually have the demographics and, and we, we also have enough of a knowledge of like what, to be honest about it, white shopping trends that we can, we can cater to that in a way where we're like, we're not selling out our souls or not um, clowning black people in the process of it. And, and that type of thing, I actually think, does more to um, to have white people respect us. Like, asking people to respect, please respect me, doesn't fucking do it. And it makes you look fucking weak. And I think people are sort of like, why the fuck should I respect you? As opposed to, just okay, doing it, yeah, yeah, just doing it and yeah. be like, my shit is so good, you, you, you want to be want a, it anyway. You know you want it anyways, and yeah. now we get to dictate the terms of like, of you having it. Of, of you having it. That they respect, especially in America. Yeah. I think that is more and more becoming the narrative uh, in these in these days and times. It's certainly, you know, the shift is, I think the shift is being felt. Yeah. You know, it the, the, the lean is there towards that. Um, and I think with that, there is pushback, not only from, you know, the society being leaned into yeah. being a, a white society, but there are also a little bit of pushback from the uh, society doing the leaning black people. You know, you have people that are coming at um, someone like Jay Z because mm-hmm. he's now sitting at the table with the, yep. with the NFL and they're like, like dude, like, you know, well, if you're going to sit there, maybe you should take care of this, that mm-hmm. and the third, never mind or not paying attention to what he has done to get, get himself in a position where Absolutely. they have invited him yeah. to that table. Um, and he'd been invited to that table while being unapologetically himself. Yes. Never yes. gave it one of the one of the the most marvelous individuals in the world to me is Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg has never apologized never. A, a, a day in his nope. life for the life that he has nope. lived and he has lived an incredible mm-hmm. life from youth to where he is mm-hmm. now and it has never stopped him from moving forward in his career so much so that he is one of the few rappers ever who truly transcends decades absolutely um because he you, you know say what you want about you know 
LL and Queen Latifah and Cube and Ice-T, and I love all four of them. But there was a point where the place that, from which they started, they're not even really that big a part of. They're a part of that history. Mm -hmm. They're not a part of its ongoing dialogue. Absolutely. Snoop is still a part of the hip-hop dialogue moving forward, as well as can walk into almost any room, be unapologetically him and get things done and that to a degree has been the same thing with jay-z i think he i think he took a little bit to get there but sure. i think he's gotten yeah gotten there and you've got to celebrate um somebody like that i think you to a degree d- despite what i may think of her artistically you've got to celebrate somebody like that with beyonce mm-hmm. you've got to celebrate uh Oprah Winfrey, you got to celebrate Ava DuVernay, mm-hmm. um, Barry Jenkins, mm-hmm. Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Um, and and I think that a lot of that comes from what the 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 confidence and the pride that hip hop instills in a lot of people yes which is why hip-hop is more than a music it is truly is a culture Absolutely. and the birthplace for where we are moving to uh in these days and times well so you um you said a lot of great things there that i wasn't i tend to do that now yeah, you do you do you <laughs> literally may be the smartest human that ever lived i mean you're not uh getting a full academic ride to penn state no, you I know not. but you know it's from what you told me about your high, you know, it's your high school experiences of spending, you know, a good two years with the two Kevins and uh, <laughs> some some other people on, you know, various courts, basketball courts, not legal courts. <laughs> Stop it, people! Don't, don't, don't profile my guests. Well, so um, something that I'm wondering: Do you think that there is a sea change, at least in terms of? Yeah, in terms of black art, you know, so Moonlight wins Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay, you know, directs a like $160 million budget Disney movie. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of, it's not bonkers that it happens because she's a great director. It's like bonkers that the, you know, the studio executives were like, yeah, we, we are going to trust, a, you know, a black woman to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's a reflection on them, not a reflection on her. Right. Um, you know, I personally think that I don't know if people truly appreciate how amazingly quick, you know, in terms of just being a, a working director, like Kugler's ascension in the ranks of directors. It's like Fruitvale Station, small movie that like, you know, a, a small group of civically minded people see Creed, pretty big budget. It's like awesome. Uh, you know, the uh, story of Apollo Creed's son, like that's cool. Black Panther. One of the biggest movies in human, like that's a fucking yeah, bonkers yeah, career trajectory. Yes, like yes. that, and I didn't really think about it. Cause I'm like, that's only his third film. That's yeah. kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that like things are opening up, and you know, I love the moves that you know Byron Allen is making, taking on Comcast. Mm-hmm. But I also hope that I'm not just being like super rose tended glasses about it. So, I mean, like, like what's Lynn, what's, what's your take on? Well, I think, I think I like it all as well. Um, I think whenever you think you, you know, your 
your lenses are like like almost beat red because mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. Rosie, you know, the world will set you straight. Yes. You know, yeah, the unfortunately. internet will set you straight. Yeah. Um, so I don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, but I think the rosier the glasses, then when all of that other stuff comes, you know, it's it's that much harder to you know, to take away the shine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now you can get, you can like, as far as like the internet goes, like Twitter and everybody talks about, ah, people on Twitter, they're all, nothing but hate there and all that type of stuff. There's a lot of that stuff there. Yeah. True. But there's a lot of the other. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how you filter yourself. Sure. It's it's all about how you appreciate who you are. Whatever I've, I, my mantra is like, no matter what anybody is saying or doing, you know, it can only affect me if I let mm-hmm. it. What I have absolute 100% control over is what I say mm-hmm. and do. So whatever you're saying, if I choose not one, if I don't agree with it and I don't agree with it, I'll only respond to it if I feel like I'm going to get maybe an intelligent discourse. Sure. From yeah. You. And if, or if I, I've got a witty one-liner. I'm going to throw it out yeah. there. Boom. And you go ahead. Y'all do with it what you will. Y'all can give me 100 comments on it. Like, oh, you're in front. I don't care. I'm not. I'm I'm. I'm on to the next mm-hmm. thing. Because life is too short. I ain't got time to sit here and wallow in this stupidity. Mm-hmm. You know, life is way too short, dog. I've got other things to do that are worth my time. This is not worth my time. So... I, I, I don't sweat that. I don't think it's being super, super, you know, optimistic or, or positive. I think it's just choosing to um, walk that walk that path and not having to wallow in the rest. And if anybody doesn't want to walk it with me, all right, God bless. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, So I, I feel like we maybe have like uh, 10 or 15 minutes more. So I would love, Lynn, if you could tell us um, more about your your work as a visual artist. Cause this is something like, you know, I didn't really know about you. So, oh, wow. so um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I used to draw and I, and, uh, and I, uh, I've, I've, I've led a life. Let's put it that way. Okay. You know, I've, I've done art. I've, 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 how, how much of this life are, are, is, uh, if, if we learn about it, we'll be like, oh, that's nice. And how much of it is like, oh, he did that. You know, and if, if, if I Google, Google you, am I going to, you know, am I going to learn that, like, I don't know, you were a member of the Warren Commission or, <laughs> uh, you know. No, no, no. I, I, I put out a children's book years ago. Whoa, um, whoa. Like, why is this the first that I'm hearing about this? Was, I mean, not that we talk that often, <laughs> but like if I had put out a children's, I would be one of those dudes who would like find a way to work that into every conversation that I've had, I would probably not have any friends anymore because like that's such a like insufferable thing to do. It's like something that uh, Brian on Family Guy would do, but that's <laughs> now, cool. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I put out a children's book uh, years ago. It was in a, another time of my life. I was a, a little bit more Christian minded at the okay. time, okay. So, which is the reason why I didn't do another book because gotcha. I, I wasn't there and I didn't feel like it was, you know to try and do that sure um but it, it got good results and stuff uh you know i i it, i i've written some some scripts and d- directed a short play story i acted for a time i used to be a rapper you know we've everybody's got their rap date phase i feel yeah i had a group in fifth grade me and my best friend bill sloyer we wrote one song called 
five star rapper. It was originally <laughs> going to be called four star rapper, and my brother, one of my brothers, said change it to five stars. It sounds better. <laughs> yeah, that's and then better. the the way that we did the scratching was we would um we would turn on our radio and just take the uh, the signal dial and go back and forth between stations so it makes wow. that like little, little, little blip sound nice. yeah and we yeah like I, wow. we, we were able to record it on you know like a like your casio tape player yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. like so so that that was my foray into the world of rap but well, my rap was a little bit more serious than that i i <laughs> i actually did go into a studio and, and and was working with a couple of cats i was at it for a few years and it was fun I, I, Got to do some shows and stages and all that type of stuff, but now primarily outside of the the tribbles, um, and my other podcast, um, which I do, which is about black movies, um, my visual art is really just I draw I, I I draw a fairly daily comic strip on a whiteboard in my in my <laughs> in my bedroom called Batman's Whiteboard. You can find it on Instagram, and it's just a Stupid little Batman making stupid pop culture jokes. It's awesome, it's hysterical. It's 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 it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's fun. It's something fun I do. Um, so so is it like Batman going to like the screening of Deadpool two it's, or it's, something? It's like big, it's 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 Batman commenting on crazy stuff. Like I think the story that I I have to finish. I actually been busy. Um, I had Batman and the Punisher from Marvel the, and. Um, the Punisher is hunting mice because he wants to shoot Mickey Mouse. <laughs> it's it's really weird. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I love it. It's bugged. I I, I had fun with it. Um, I actually did a comic strip a couple of years ago that I have made a promise for to myself in 2020 that I'm going to return to. Yes, um, do bring it. back is um, called Heaven Sent, hmm. and it's about it's about the illegitimate daughter of the Lord and Lilith, the fallen angel. Um, she Lilith raised her in hell until she got to a teenage and then she became too much for hell. So she sent her to heaven to live with her father, the Lord. Whoa. Uh, I did it in, um, like a couple of years ago. It was, it was, it was bonkers. It was a lot of fun. She like her, um, her mentor in heaven was Whitney Houston. It's <laughs> it's, it's really insane. Oh, it was boy. Um, My it, mother is getting very upset by everything. That a lot of people got upset with me. Yeah, but L- I luckily it. I don't think she'll listen to this uh, this interview because I I sent my parents. So when you interviewed us at Amalgam, I was like super excited. I'm like, and uh, like I had recorded an episode of the podcast like a couple days after that, so I sent it to my whole family. I'm like, oh hey, like you know here here's the newest episode of the podcast, and like me and Naomi got interviewed by like you know these really cool people that like I've kind of known for a bit, and and usually like everyone in my family is like, oh like that's great, wonderful. And it was just like radio silence. So I'm just like, I think it was like one of those days where they just like didn't listen to it or, okay. or maybe, I don't know, maybe something was super offensive. I I have no idea. But if my mom is listening to this, she's very upset. You're talking about hell, God, Whitney Houston, like that, that those are three <laughs> things you really shouldn't say around her. If my grandmother were still living, she would probably be like mortally offended by everything that you've said not so much whitney houston because i think she was indifferent to her but you start talking about hell and yeah no don't that's not stuff you make a light of so oh boy then she really won't uh 
she really won't like what I talk about Jesus in there. Mm. But uh, it's it's fun. So I, I promised myself I'm gonna bring that back in nice. 2020. Yeah, like for Black History Month. Beautiful. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, well. Like one of my big things is just like I want to go to my grave saying like, yeah, I I did everything I said I was going to do. Maybe it was a total failure. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah, right. And the, maybe no it happened regrets. 30 years after I said I was going to do it. But yeah, no regrets. So I love it. Yeah, I that's exactly it. how I live my life. Like I can, like I. I wake up every day and I tell myself, you know, even if I think like, oh man, yeah, what I'm gonna do today. But you know what? I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. I was I was a rapper. I was on stage. I was yeah. on stage. I, I I I've I've acted in plays. I've acted in movies. I've I've got a radio show. Yeah. I sat down with Nichelle Nichols. I, I've met. I've done things. I'm I'm pretty good. Mm-hmm. There's more to do. Yeah. So so uh, because I make this show all about me, you know, I I say I'm bringing in guests to hear about them but then i always turn i find a way to to bring it back to myself it's your show um yeah it, it is my show you know i've 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 worked hard ish on this sort of <laughs> not really um so uh th- th- this is me trying to like plan for my my uh future so you're talking about so you have a, a podcast where it's about black cinema is that yes, correct yes it's called the michelle mission two men one podcast every black film ever made no, oh yeah i've i feel like i've heard you uh talk about this before and then i'm it's i'm assuming the name is inspired by oscar michelle like exactly or one of the earliest black filmmakers the, ever one of the like, earliest if not the earliest, yeah. the godfather of black cinema um so I I have no idea if you can actually do this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out into the ether. So I've written a couple of film scripts, which I don't know if they're good, but I want to get them made at some point. But I have all these ideas, and I think I might need a um uh. So I either need a writing partner, or I might just need to like just give my ideas to people and then have an actual good writer do them because I don't know if I can actually write stuff. But I have two ideas that I think could actually work. One is I would love to do a, a, uh, like a 10 episode series where it's just slice of life, black stories. It can be about anything like people getting divorced, people dealing with mental illness, people being like, my kid's a fucking lunatic, whatever. But the premise would be every episode takes place on a day when an unarmed black person is killed by a police officer, but that's never referenced in the episodes. Because what I want to do is one is to show that like to a certain degree, at least in my life, this shit is so fucking common. It's just like I my life doesn't stop happening because you can name any person like is is being murdered. Um, And I want that to sort of be like a perverse comment on our society. And I welcome whatever feelings people have about it. Like that's fucked up that he's not addressing this or like the system is so fucked up that like who has time to address all this stuff. And I also kind of. um I'm trying to sort of create the vibe that Spike Lee had in the 25th hour where like, you know, it's, it's on, it's in the backdrop of nine 11, but people are still sort of doing their thing. Cause like, I find that super intriguing and I feel like that doesn't really happen in black cinema because I feel like we get the, the you know, the, the Selmas and the moonlights and films like that, which, you know, I dig, but it's like, eh, you know, that speaks to one type of black experience. And then I feel like we get the sort of the either like the Love Joneses or the, you know, think like a man 47 where it's, you know, uh, it's a lot of like black middle class or like, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I want to see some more like kind of like artsy, like Wes Anderson, Noah Baumbach stuff with black people. So 
I'm just saying that just to say that, like, you know, I'm just trying to put that out there in the world. If if you ever meet someone who's like, oh, I I'm great at writing scripts, and I want to. Uh, partner with a neurotic black nerd who has all these ideas to make black versions of uh you know noah bombach movies have them get in contact with me so that's the first thing okay uh, the other thing is i i'm i'm i want to test this uh this idea with you guys because i think there's something to this so i'm super intrigued if there was a a kind of like afrocentric film that had a vibe sort of like the Winter Soldier or Three Days of the Condor. So like I'm I'm super intrigued by like this idea where there's a movie where it's like Henry Louis Gates Henry Louis Gates and Gucci Mane are plants by the CIA and tended to undermine black people. Because at least for me, have you ever had those feelings where where like when when there are like certain black people that like permeate the public consciousness and like everyone is just like this is the person like what they're saying is the fucking truth and like if more black people were like into this we would be in a better position and you're sort of like i think this dude is actually crazy or like i think this person is actually like poisonous like you know and I don't know if like that's what they're intending to do. So I'm very intrigued by this Winter Soldier idea where it's like you don't know what to believe. And the people that are chasing you also might be the people who are like really trying to save you. But have it be like so about the black American experience. So are you saying that Michael Eric Dyson is the Manchurian candidate? Is that what you're trying to say? Because that's how it feels. That's, um, what, that's, that's the first thing that popped into my head. What I will say is that I have listened to a lot of things that Michael Eric Dyson says. I've listened to a lot of things that Cornell West says. I feel weird when people who work for Ivy League institutions are like railing against. So Michael Eric Dyson, I don't know about him. Cornell West said a lot of things about Barack Obama where I'm like, those things aren't necessarily untrue. But it's kind of hard for me to believe from a guy who works for Princeton and Harvard and like works for all of these elite default white institutions that's getting his money from like default white institutions. And I feel like it's sort of um, skimming in the water of like, well, you know, the brothers on the street are it's like mm, Cornell. I, I'm more connected to them than you are, which is fine. But, like, wh where is this coming from? And, like, yeah. So, I don't know if I... I feel like I'm answering your question without answering your no, question. This is, a, this is an interesting point. I'd watch that. Whatever okay. it's going to be, I'm watching it. Will I, you help me I, write it? Well, no. And here's why. Because... <laughs> because you're a musician primarily? <laughs> no, because I, I can't write. I know I can't write. Okay. Because I have a movie idea that's stuck in my head, too, that I could never write. Um... And I, I'm trying to find somebody to, to help me with this as well. So you've got your homework, Lynn. You have to find a screenwriter partner for Randy and one for me. And then when you're done with that, you can do your podcast after that. Okay. But, you, you know, you, we all have a purpose on this planet. And your, your purpose is for you to go out of your way to make my life easier, <laughs> even though we talk like every four years. You know, I mean, you talked about how nice my house was. Like, so if you love me to the degree that you say you do, will will you jumpstart my non-existent screenwriting career? I'll see what I can do. Okay. I'll see what I do. I'll get working on that. Did, I will. 
do, do you think my movie ideas are like people would at least be into them? Because I I feel like the whole like I mean, Gucci like, Mane as a CIA plant idea could it take off. It almost sounds a little bit like a. a, a uh, reverse. What was that movie? The the Spooky Sat by the Door. Yeah, that's the first, yeah. Thing, that's the first thing that I came came up with, and uh, that's a film who, in theory, I should love, but I hate that movie. Gotcha. Um, because I feel the same way about Donald Glover's music. Like I feel like I should, I should like love it, and I'm just like I, it, it just does, doesn't. It, it just doesn't. For whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty funny, but I hate his music. Yeah. 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 So, um, but but I I think the idea is is. Definitely worth investigating. Okay. Um, and uh, is that your? <laughs> that, that feels like very polite. Like I don't like it. <laughs> no, I someone like on planet Earth would. <laughs> I like. The, I do like the idea. Okay. I do like the idea. It's, it sounds interesting. All right. Well, what about my idea of the uh, the shows that take place on days that black people are killed by the cops? But it's no. Not I love that idea. Okay. I love that idea because the first thing that I'm seeing is like um, almost uh, like a a Hitchcock type of thing mm-hmm. so yeah. you see a guy reading a paper and it's not even a story that he's reading because facing the camera is the headline about yeah. the black person being killed yeah. um, and then he folds up the newspaper and then the, whatever the true story yeah. is unfolds and then that just being you know the conceit of every episode that you know like you just hear off in the distance mm-hmm. the radio the yeah. next day or you you catch in the background like the Chiron on the television talking about this black person being killed it's just being such a matter of fact type of thing um one the first the second thing that hit my head was it becomes so much of you know, oh, this is just another black man. That one episode is literally two people talking about whatever the story is mm-hmm. of the episode while they're in the store and on the television is a black sitcom where the joke is another black person mm, mm-hmm, killed. Mm, you know? mm. So that's because, so how, you know, desensitized we become. Yeah to that so i actually love that idea okay all right dope i appreciate that well uh i want to thank you gentlemen for being here it was it's been a very fun enlivening conversation um yeah i've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you for inviting us absolutely absolutely i'm i'm a little disappointed because you know i came here with a decidedly you know 10 o'clock shadow thinking Mm -hmm. oh we're going to the punk rock barbershop i can get trimmed up here uh apparently (laughs) uh that is not where we were going so i still have to doing our research yes yes so well i still i've got clippers upstairs so i mean i can i can do Anything to your facial hair that you want. I well, mean, I've seen your hairline, so no thank you. Okay. Oh! <laughs> that was good, man. Get you an ice pack for those ribs. Yeah, aye, aye, aye. Uh, Well, having said that, <laughs> asshole. No, it's all up. Um, wh- so, uh, what are the different ways that people can uh, find you guys on, uh, you know, the various social medias and websites? And, you know, Mention all the stuff. So Black Tribbles, Gangsta Grass, any like personal Instagrams that you promote your stuff through? Um, if you put Gangsta Grass into the internet, you'll find Gangsta Grass. Um, and uh, our son, the voice of reason, that's the the rhyme, uh, Num De Plume. Um, yeah, so I'm out there. The album Boom Bap Therapy is about to drop. Uh, actually, just to re- released a new single called I Am, which is on uh, 
are some of the voice of reason at bandcamp.com. A bunch of the old stuff is on there. The album will be there. You can get yourself a t-shirt with my logo on it, designed by my good friend Len here. Um, yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Thank you. And if you uh, Google Black Tribbles, you'll find the Black Tribbles. We're available wherever podcasts are can be found. We also have a YouTube. Um, Black Tribbles uh, are, are on YouTube where our sh- TV show, Tribbles After Dark, gets into the uh, edgier side of geek. Um, third Ooh, season okay. All right. in 2020. Gets a little PG-13. <laughs> it, it, gets, it gets insane. It's about yeah. to get more insane looking at the shows that Eric has lined up for season yeah. three. Hmm, okay, I'm um, very intrigued now. So so check us out. Holla at a triple. Holla, 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 holla. Thank you. Well, Lynn, Randy, thank you very much for being here. Um, yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, that wraps up uh, this installment of the Punk Rock Barbershop coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. And as always, punk rockers, I hope you find your story and I hope you find your truth.